Episode 21, The Immutable Monarch. The Houses of Parliament echoed with a raw tension, a vibrant undercurrent that had the old statues on the walls looking a tad nervous. Alfred, Duke of Derbyshire, stood tall, an embodiment of modern nobility, his sharp eyes radiating fierce determination. This ancient chamber had seen its share of power plays, but this was different. The King's recent decisions, Alfie's voice rang out, breaking through the parliamentary hum, dare I say, they're an infringement on our citizens' rights, an old-fashioned money grab under the guise of governance. His declaration hung in the air, a direct challenge to the King's authority. There was a moment of silence, a quick inhale of breath, as the room braced for fallout. It came in the form of Lord Hampton, a staunch supporter of the King. Alfred, he retorted, I find your words hasty. These measures are necessary for maintaining the country's stability. Stability, Alfie echoed, a grim smile flickering over his lips. Or a forced appropriation of wealth, my lord. The debate raged on, heated exchanges echoing off the chamber walls. Alfie was unwavering, his words like digital arrows challenging the king's all-world ways. Beneath the rhetoric, the jewel was clear. It was Bitcoin and the new aristocracy against the crown's traditional dominance. Outside Parliament, London hummed with activity, a digital symphony born of old-world charm and new-world tech. Maglev trains crisscrossed the land, high-tech billboards flickered with crypto rates, and people hustled, their lives enriched, yet complicated by the Bitcoin standard. Alfie stepped into the rhythm of the city, its vibrant energy seeping into his veins. He had a meeting with some fellow lords, off the record, naturally, at one of London's most exclusive clubs, the Satoshi Lounge. The lounge, a meld of classic British elegance and high-tech wizardry, buzzed with whispered strategies and subdued laughter. Over crystal glasses of aged scotch, they discussed, debated and sometimes argued. But beneath the varied opinions, a consensus was slowly emerging. The king had overstepped, and the time was ripe for pushback. Across the city, in tiny flats and spacious mansions alike, a similar sentiment was brewing. Londoners, whether they traded in bitcoins or memories, were growing restless under the king's increasing interference. A bartender at a local pub might not articulate it as eloquently as Alfie did in the House of Lords, but the underlying sentiment was the same. The King's appetite for control was not a good look in a Bitcoin-empowered Britain. Back in Derbyshire, Alfie's wife, Victoria, and their children bore the brunt of the political storm. Victoria, ever the supportive partner, took care of the home front, reassuring their children and managing the household. Her mind, however, was a whirl of worry, her heart echoing Alfie's unease. Amidst the storm, ordinary life continued, Bitcoin rates fluctuated, hearts throbbed with dreams, and the march of progress refused to halt. In every corner of the kingdom, people had adjusted 
and readjusted, bracing for whatever the future held. But change, as always, was on the horizon. Alfie's return to Derbyshire was a journey from the centre of pulsating politics to the tranquillity of familial ties. As the self-navigating vehicle cruised through the virgin English countryside, he found his thoughts drifting home towards Victoria. Upon his arrival, Chatsworth House embraced him in its timeless warmth. The grandeur of the place never failed to impress, but for Alfie its true beauty was the family it housed. His children rushed to greet him, their young voices a symphony of joy, erasing the echoes of the Parliament's harsh debates. Victoria, the Duchess of Derbyshire, awaited him in their private drawing room. A woman of grace and strength, she radiated an elegance that time and stress had only enhanced. Welcome back, Alfie, Victoria greeted, her words a soothing balm. He smiled. I am, indeed, back. A silence stretched between them, comfortable and understanding. Alfie poured himself a drink, the amber liquid reflecting the room's soft lights. Finally, he said, the king's overstepping Victoria. The parliament is a battlefield, and the people are restless. Victoria nodded, a sense of worry clouding her usually bright eyes. What's the plan, Alfie? We push back, he replied. We remind the king that it is the people's will that rules, not his whims. We may be aristocrats, Victoria, but we're not oppressors. We're representatives, guardians. It's high time the king remembered that. A moment of silence fell over them, their resolve strengthening in the quiet. They stood together, ready to face the storm that loomed on the horizon. In the grand dining room of Chatsworth House, over a simple yet elegant dinner, Alfie and Victoria's conversation flowed from one topic to another. They spoke of their children, of local events, of the latest breakthroughs in technology, their shared laughter a testament to their strong bond. So, Bella won first place in the maths competition, Victoria said, a proud smile on her face. Alfie chuckled, just like her mother, brilliant and competitive. Their laughter echoed through the room, softening the echoes of political tension. The clink of cutlery and the rustle of the evening breeze through the open window provided a comforting backdrop. Later, as the night deepened and the stars glittered in the clear sky, they retreated to their shared sanctuary, their bedroom. The room, tastefully decorated, was a haven of tranquillity. It held an air of intimacy, a world that belonged solely to Alfie and Victoria. With a sigh of relief, Victoria slipped off her shoes. I swear, Alfie, these heels will be the end of me. Alfie chuckled loosening his tie. Yet you won't give up on them, will you? She shot him a playful glare. Absolutely not. A woman must have her vices. Their laughter filled the room. The worries of the world pushed away, if only for a while. In their shared silence, they found solace, their bond a fortress against the world's uncertainties. As the moonlight spilled through the large window, Bathing their room in a soft silver glow, Alfie and Victoria lay in their bed. The quiet of the night seemed to hush the world outside, 
and within the privacy of their room, their conversation took a deeper tone. Alfie, Victoria said, her voice barely a whisper. Are you scared? Alfie turned to her, his gaze soft in the dim light. I would be lying if I said no, he admitted. We're on the brink of a major shift, Victoria. It's unnerving, but it's also necessary. Victoria nodded, her fingers tracing idle patterns on his chest. You've always been brave, Alfie, braver than most. I just worry about the cost of this bravery. Alfie caught her hand, bringing it to his lips. The cost would be far greater if we let fear rule us. The king needs to be reminded that his power stems from the people, from us. It's a fight worth fighting, Victoria. He could feel her exhale, her worry seeping out with her breath. I know, Alfie, I believe in you. We'll face whatever comes together. In the quiet darkness, their shared resolve bolstered their courage. Alfie pulled Victoria closer, their bodies entwining in a familiar dance. Their hearts beat in sync, ready to face whatever the new day would bring. As dawn broke, Alfie was already on the move. The trip to Sheffield was a necessary one, an opportunity to gauge the pulse of the common folk. The sprawling city, a blend of historic architecture and futuristic tech, hummed with morning activity. His vehicle of choice was an unassuming self-driving electric model, blending seamlessly with the other vehicles on the Maglev Highway. Alfie, almost incognito as a regular citizen, ventured into the heart of the city as he stood for a moment admiring the statue of James Dalton, before continuing on his way. He first stopped at a cafe, a popular breakfast spot frequented by a mix of students, office-goers and artisans. As he sipped his coffee, he listened to the conversation swirling around him. Hints of dissatisfaction crept through the mundane chats about weather and football. The king's latest decree is a bloody farce, grumbled a middle-aged man at a nearby table, his scowl evident. Nods of disagreement followed his statement, the undercurrent of discontent palpable. Later, Alfie wandered into a local artisan's market. The vibrant energy of the place was infectious, yet the political unease seeped into the buzz of activity. Conversations, hushed and heated, centred around the king's action and the impact on their lives. The king forgets that it's us who put him in that place, an old woman selling handmade ceramics said to her neighbour. High time someone reminded him. A sense of unrest simmered under the surface of the city, ready to boil over at the slightest spark. Casting aside his aristocratic mannerisms, Alfie sauntered into a bustling pub on the outskirts of Sheffield's university district. The air was charged with youthful energy, laughter and loud chatter washing over the ambient music. Neon signs and retro posters blended with holographic menus, a mashup of the past and the present, a symbol of the post-Bitcoin era. At the bar, Alfie found himself in the company of a group of students, their faces bright with the zeal of youth. They spoke freely, their minds unburdened by the constraints of tradition. A pint for everyone, Alfie offered, disguising his curiosity under the veil of generosity. As the amber liquid flowed, 
so did their words. The conversations took many turns, from the latest technological marvels to the trending virtual reality games, then subtly Alfie steered the discussion towards politics. The king thinks he's the centre of the universe, a young woman declared, her voice slurred slightly from the alcohol. He needs to wake up and smell the roses. It's not about him, it's about all of us. Her sentiment was met with a chorus of approval. Their voices grew heated as they talked about the king's actions, their words echoing the commoners' concerns Alfie had picked up earlier. In the end, we are the ones who will shape the future, not some man on a chair, a lanky young man stated, his words punctuated by the determined nods of his peers. The air in the pub thickened with a mix of heated discussion and cigarette smoke. Alfie stayed seated, a silent observer of the unfolding narrative. A short moment of silence settled in, as if granting the students a brief respite. Then, the conversation shifted, moving away from the abstract realm of politics to the personal. The students began sharing anecdotes about their experiences navigating the new societal norms and the rapidly changing world. A dark-haired student with a light-up tattoo animating his forearm spoke of his recent experience. I've just been to the visual art show last weekend. Incredible, I must say. It's amazing how artists are leveraging technology. Bitcoin has definitely leveled the playing field, you know. Gives us all a fair chance. Yeah, I feel that too, chimed in a young woman, her hands animated as she spoke. I'm working on this startup, right? A platform for local artists to sell their work. Before Bitcoin, I wouldn't have the resources. Now, we're going global. The discussions flowed. A cascade of personal stories and shared experiences. They spoke of their dreams, ambitions, their struggles and their victories in the face of changing norms. A young man studying economics opened up about his family. My parents were old school, worried about the Bitcoin changeover, but now they're all in. My dad even started mining. Can you believe it? Laughter rang around the table, a shared sense of camaraderie and understanding knitting the students closer. As Alfie listened, he could see the bigger picture, a glimpse into the lives of the young generation. Their words, their stories, were a testament to the strength and resilience of the human spirit, even in the face of radical change. The pubs lightened dim slightly as the evening wore on, in lending an intimate atmosphere to the gathering. As the group of students swirled their drinks and engaged in boisterous conversation, one of them, a sociology major named Emma, decided to broach a subject rarely discussed. You know, the thing I find most fascinating about the whole Bitcoin era, she started, her eyes gleaming with intellectual curiosity, is how it's changed our interpersonal relationships. A collective murmur of agreement followed her statement. With the advent of Bitcoin, wealth was redistributed and social hierarchies were challenged. But even more intriguing was how these changes trickled down to the macro level, affecting the dynamics of intimate relationships. Emma went further. Not just relationships, it's also about self-expression, right? The freedom to be our true selves. There's no pressure to conform to societal norms or expectations. We've got the freedom to experiment and discover who we are without judgment.
Jung was light years beyond the epoch he existed in, remarked a student deeply immersed in the study of psychology, her voice echoing a profound respect. It's a mental recoil, a sheer cringe, when I think back to the days Freud was taught as gospel. Alfie listened attentively. The warmth of their frankness and their willingness to delve into subjects previously considered taboo, a testament to how far society had come. Bitcoin, it seemed, had not only revolutionised the economy, but also paved the way for a more open and accepting society. Following his enlightening conversations, Alfie knew it was time for action. He travelled back to Chatsworth, his mind still turning over the day out in Sheffield. He had arranged a meeting for the aristocrats in the country, those he could be confident were more on his side than the kings. They traced him one by one, some taking a train, some arriving in their Rolls Royces and Jaguars. They sat around the large round table placed in the ballroom of Chatsworth House. The great ballroom echoed with the voices of dukes, lords and barons, each expressing their concern about the king's recent actions. Alfie, standing at the head of the circular mahogany table, raised his hands for silence. The chatter died down, all eyes now on him. He cleared his throat, his gaze steady. My fellow aristocrats, he began, we stand here today united by our concerns for our people and our land. A murmur of agreement rippled through the room. The king's recent attempts to bolster his power are worrying. The introduction of a crown levied law aimed at exacting a tax from our people on their Bitcoin holdings is a clear breach of the freedoms and rights that God and the Constitution bestows upon us. Nods followed this statement, the faces around the room mirroring Alfie's gravity. He's using this thinly veiled excuse of national security and economic stability to impose these unjust laws. The Sovereign's decree threatening hefty fines to those found guilty of economic hoarding. The Royal Edict aiming to control and limit Bitcoin mining under the guise of environmental concerns. All these are tactics to claw back the power Bitcoin had decentralised. The room was tense, the stakes clearly outlined now. The aristocrats had long sensed the King's desperation, but hearing it laid out so starkly brought a newfound urgency to their cause. We need a Magna Carta for the digital age, based around the Bitcoin protocol and what the Nakamoto consensus gifted us, a society free of monetary despotism. We must not let a fearful king undermine that freedom. We, the stewards of our territories, bear the responsibility of preserving this for our people. A resounding applause followed Alfie's impassioned speech. Their path was clear. They had to protect their society from a power-hungry king. As the applause in the hall died down, a calculating silence fell upon Duke William of Northumberland. His eyes, veiled behind a pensive gaze, moved from Alfie to the other lords gathered. He was torn between loyalty to his fellow aristocrats and the king, his longtime friend. After the meeting ended, and the lords dispersed, Duke William found himself standing in the vast emptiness of the hall, consumed by conflicting thoughts. A decision had to be made. Swallowing his trepidation, he picked up his communique 
a state-of-the-art device for secure communication. With a trembling finger, he punched in the private number of the king. Your Majesty, he began, the trepidation in his voice apparent. There's something you need to know. The line crackled for a moment before the king's voice came through, clear and authoritative. Speak, William, he commanded. Taking a deep breath, William plunged into the story. There's unrest amongst the lords, he began, pacing back and forth in the deserted hall. A council was called today at Chatsworth House, led by Alfred, Duke of Derbyshire. He paused, collecting his thoughts. He spoke passionately about your recent policies. The Crown's levy law, the Sovereign's decree, the Royal Edict, William continued, his voice weighed down by the magnitude of his revelation. The Lords perceived these as attempts to reclaim the power that Bitcoin had decentralised. They're comparing this to monetary despotism. There was a silence on the other end. William could almost picture the King seated on his throne, absorbing the information. He pushed on. Your Majesty, they see themselves as stewards of their territories, protectors of the freedom that Bitcoin brought. They're not going to let these laws pass without a fight. A heavy silence lingered between them after William finished. He could almost hear the wheels turning in the King's mind as he processed the news. This was a game of power and strategy, and the board had just been upset. Thank you, William, for your loyalty, the King finally said, his voice icy cold, hiding the tumultuous thoughts that were undoubtedly stirring within. We shall deal with this appropriately. With that, the line went dead, leaving William alone with the echo of his treason. News of the King's awareness of the growing unrest amongst the aristocrats spread through the kingdom like wildfire. Cities buzzed with whispers and speculation. The once jovial pubs now resonated with hushed conversations as the fear of the impending storm loomed large. The King, for his part, wasted no time. He ordered a sudden assembly of the Parliament. The aristocrats, still nursing their defiant spirits, arrived with a sense of trepidation. Duke Alfie, undeterred, stood tall and determined as he walked into the House of Lords. The King, seated on his throne, surveyed the room. The silence was palpable, a testament to the tension that hung heavy in the air. Finally he spoke. I've been informed of the discontent brewing among my people. His gaze rested on the Duke and my fellow lords. Alfie, under the King's scrutiny, held his gaze. The room waited with bated breath for what was to come. I am not an unreasonable man, the King continued. I am aware that my recent laws have stirred the pot, murmurs filled the room, but the king raised his hand for silence. However, I ask you this. Are these laws not aimed at the prosperity of our kingdom? Are they not an effort to guard our people and land from potential threats? With that, the king opened the floor for discussion. What followed was a heated debate between the lords and the king, with arguments, counter-arguments, passionate speeches, and heated confrontations. The clash of perspectives was as vibrant as it was loud.
Alfie, amidst all of this, held his ground. He argued for the decentralisation that Bitcoin offered, the freedom it promised and the prosperity it brought. His powerful words resonated in the hearts of many, creating ripples in the turbulent sea of debate. The meeting had ended with no clear resolution, but the seed of rebellion had taken root, and the storm that had been looming now seemed inevitable. Alfie, lost in a tumultuous sea of thoughts, retreated to his estate after the explosive meeting at the Parliament. His wife, Victoria, awaited his arrival, worry etched on her face. What happened, Alfie? Victoria asked rushing to his side as he entered their private chambers. Alfie sighed, pulling Victoria into his arms. Victoria, we stand on the brink of a precipice, he said, his voice heavy with concern. The king stands firm on his laws, convinced they will bring prosperity to our kingdom, but he's threatening the very freedom that Bitcoin has brought us. Victoria looked up at her husband, her gaze resolute. Then we stand our ground, Alfie, she said firmly. We stand for the liberty Bitcoin has provided, and we fight for it. Alfie nodded, the warmth of his wife's support seeping into him. Yes, they would face the storm together, protecting their people and the freedom they had all come to cherish. Days turned into weeks. The rumble of discontent grew louder and louder, turning the once harmonious kingdom into a battleground of ideologies. The Parliament was a hotbed of conflict, every session ending in heated debates and unsatisfactory resolutions. Alfie, meanwhile, held his ground, standing tall amidst the storm. He rallied his fellow dukes and barons, sharing impassioned speeches and plans for their course of action. Their gatherings, once the epitome of grandeur and leisure, had turned into strategy meetings brimming with tension and determination. One such meeting was underway at Alfie's estate, Chatsworth House. The Duke and Barons huddled around a grand table, maps and documents spread across its surface. Their faces were grave, their eyes were filled with a steely resolve. Alfie stood at the head of the table, leading the discussion. We need the support of the commons, Alfie said, looking at his counterparts. We need to convince them that the king's laws are not for the prosperity of the kingdom, but for his own consolidation of power. And how do you propose we do that, Alfie? questioned Duke Harrington, a seasoned aristocrat with a sceptical bend of mind. The commons are divided, and the king has his loyalists among them. Alfie nodded, acknowledging the duke's point. True, the commons are divided, and yet, the king has his loyalties, he said, but we also have allies among them. We need to strengthen these alliances, convince the undecided, and expose the king's intentions. The room fell into contemplative silence as each aristocrat pondered Alfie's proposition. It was a daunting task, but there was a collective agreement that it was a necessary one. The meeting ended with a pact. They would fight for their freedom and prosperity, even if it meant going against their king. As the aristocrats dispersed, Victoria entered the room, her presence a soothing balm to Alfie's heightened senses. How did it go? she asked, 
her eyes searching Alfie's. He looked at his wife, drawing strength from her unwavering support. We have a plan, Victoria, he said, a sense of determination filling his voice. We will expose the king's true intentions and fight for our freedom. Victoria gave him a proud smile, her hand gently squeezing his. Then we shall weather this storm, Alfie, together. As the weight of the world lay heavy on their shoulders, Alfie and Victoria stood together, their resolve stronger than ever. Knowing that words and debates might not be enough to withstand the king's tyranny, Alfie understood that they might have to resort to an archaic form of conflict resolution, physical battle. Being a peaceful man at heart, the notion filled him with trepidation. But being a true duke, he knew that sometimes might was necessary to enforce right. He began preparations in earnest. The vast grounds of Chatsworth House were turned into makeshift training arenas. The aristocracy, despite their silk robes and genteel manners, were no strangers to warfare. Many were descendants of knights and military leaders, their lineage steeped in tales of valour and battle. Alfie enlisted the best commanders and knights to lead the training sessions. Drone rangers sprouted up in the green lawns, laser fighting drills took place in the courtyards, and strategy sessions were held in the grand halls. The tranquil estate, known for its refined galas and elaborate parties, echoed with the clanging of drones and the kick of recoil. Even Alfie, dressed in battle-ready attire, participated in the drills. He practiced shooting with Duke Harrington, drone fights with Baron Finchley, and studied battle strategies with Sir Hadley, the renowned military advisor. His commanding presence and dedicated involvement bolstered the spirits of his allies and served as a reminder of what they were fighting for, their freedom. Meanwhile, Victoria watched her husband from the shadows. The man she had married, the gentle duke who loved art and literature, was transforming into a war leader. She worried for his safety, of course, but she also admired his courage and resilience. They were fighting for a cause they believed in, and she was there to support him every step of the way. The following morning brought with it an air of tension and excitement. An airship with the bold insignia of the Lone Star emblazoned on its hull and descended onto the vast lawns of Chatsworth House. Out stepped Jasper Tex McKinnon, a tall burly man with a striking Stetson hat and a twinkle in his eye. He was one of the most sought-after arms dealers from the Republic of Texas, known for his collection of cutting-edge weaponry. The aristocrats gathered around as Tex opened his demonstration. First, he unveiled an array of handheld laser weaponry. These were light, precise and deadly, emitting a high-energy beam capable of slicing through the toughest armors. The nobles watched with fascination as Tex demonstrated the potency of these devices, slicing through a metal sculpture with disconcerting ease. Next, he revealed a swarm of drones, small, fast, and equipped with high-definition cameras and stunningly accurate lasers. They were capable of both surveillance and combat, a perfect combination for the upcoming conflict. The drones buzzed around the courtyard in a pre-programmed pattern, showing off their agility and precision. Finally, he unveiled the holographic projectors, a non-lethal, 
yet potentially game-changing tool. These devices could project lifelike 3D images onto the battlefield, creating diversions or causing confusion amongst enemy ranks. The aristocrats, including Alfie, watched the demonstration with a mixture of awe and trepidation. The gravity of their situation became more palpable with each showcased weapon. They were no longer in the era of swords and shields. Their fight had transcended into the realm of lasers, drones and holograms. However, amid the daunting reality, Alfie saw a ray of hope. These tools could provide them the edge they needed in the battle against the king. As the demonstration concluded, he turned to his fellow nobles. We have the means to stand against the king, he said, determination evident in his voice. We will not let him usurp the freedom and prosperity we have built. A murmur of agreement spread through the crowd as the sun dipped below the horizon, painting the sky with hues of red and orange. A new resolve took in their hearts. They would fight. They would protect their kingdom. And with these new weapons at their disposal, they might just win. The evening found Alfie and Victoria in their private study, hunched over an expansive holographic map of Great Britain that floated in midair. The news of the impending conflict had seeped into every corner of the kingdom, causing a ripple of fear, anticipation, and a dash of excitement. They were strategizing, marking potential strongholds and allies across the kingdom. Each lord and baron had their loyalties, some to the king, others to the cause Alfie was championing. The illuminated markers on the map symbolised these alliances, creating a colourful web of connections, a matrix of power. London was a smudge of purple, symbolising the stronghold of the king. Surrounding it, however, were pockets of green, regions where support for the Bitcoin aristocracy was strong. The Midlands, the home of industry and the cities, fueled by the wealth of Bitcoin, were a solid wall of green. Alfie and Victoria could count on their support. The north was a mix. Some regions like Derbyshire were green, while others showed hints of purple. Their loyalties divided, or yet untested. Scotland and Wales, autonomous, but closely connected to England, were a hazy blue. Their stances uncertain. We need to get Scotland and Wales on our side, Alfie said his fingers tracing the outlines of the regions on the holographic map. Their support could be the game-changer. I'll reach out to Lady McAllister and Lord Rees, Victoria responded, making a note. She had always been adept at the delicate dance of diplomacy. I believe they will understand our cause. As the night grew darker, their resolve grew stronger. The map, with its constellation of allies and opponents, was a beacon in the uncertain darkness. As they planned, plotted and strategized, the future of their kingdom hung in the balance. But they were ready, ready to fight, ready to protect, ready to stand up for what they believed in. The revolution had just begun. The morning sun found Alfie and Victoria boarding a sleek silver bullet train, the pinnacle of British maglev technology. It was destined for Scotland. Alfie, dressed in a smart grey suit, sat by the window, lost in thought, while Victoria, resplendent in a dress of royal blue, reviewed her notes, 
prepping for the meeting with Lena McAllister and Lord Rees. Respectfully acquiescing to Victoria's prudent approach, Alfie set out for Edinburgh the next day, while his wife journeyed to the castle in the Scottish Highlands. Edinburgh, with its grand old world charm, seamlessly entwined with the cutting edge technological marvels, fascinated Alfie. The iconic Edinburgh Castle still towered over the city, a beacon of history amidst the new age architecture. Its stoic stone walls contrasting sharply with the translucent crystal structures that populated the city. He found himself in a bustling local market, a vibrant mixture of the traditional and the new. As he meandered through the marketplace, the Duke marvelled at how the ancient city had embraced the future. Bitcoin-operated shops, automated food stalls and holographic entertainers coexisted with handcrafted wares, street artists and vendors peddling old-style fish and chips. Alfie noticed a group of university students engaged in a lively debate about the political upheaval brewing. Their conversations echoed the concerns he had about the king's increasing power and greed. Their insights were raw and impassioned, solidifying his resolve. Meanwhile, Victoria met with Lady McAllister and Lord Rees. Their castle, a fusion of ancient stone walls and modern elements like energy-efficient glass and sleek metal, was a sight to behold. An awkward tension filled the air as they greeted each other, the remnants of past relations looming like an unwelcome ghost. Victoria, however, remained composed, focusing on the gravity of the situation at hand. As they delved into discussions about the King's unjust actions and the impending crisis, Victoria found that the Scottish nobles were as concerned as they were. They agreed to stand by Alfie and the rest of the aristocrats against the King, a promising development in their struggle. Upon their return to Derbyshire, Alfie and Victoria shared the outcomes of their respective missions. Their spirits were lifted by the promise of support from Scotland, but they knew that the battle was far from over. With the Allies rallying and the King's spies lurking, they prepared themselves for the impending showdown, ready to fight for their future. The following weeks were filled with discreet meetings, encrypted messages and careful planning. The aristocrats from across the land pledged their support to Alfie, acknowledging his leadership and expertise. The Duke's reputation for fair judgment, his eloquence and charisma were pivotal in rallying the nobles together. Simultaneously, the common people, worn down by the King's increasing greed, were starting to voice their discontent more openly, bolstering the aristocracy's position. All the while, Alfie and Victoria ensured that their daily lives appeared unchanged. They held lavish parties, attended functions and continued to mingle with society as if all was well. They were careful not to alarm the king prematurely or give him reason to act against them. Word of a grand ball at the king's palace reached Derbyshire one day. Alfie and Victoria were invited along with all the aristocrats and influential people in the country. This was unusual for the king, who was known for his distaste for such social gatherings. The invitation stirred up whispers amongst the nobles. Some believed it was a trap. Others thought it was a chance for the king to proclaim some new decree. 
Despite the potential dangers, Alfie decided to attend. If nothing else, it would give them a chance to gauge the king's intentions and perhaps find some leverage. The day of the ball arrived. The Duke and Duchess of Derbyshire approached Buckingham Palace in their sleek automated carriage, built with shimmering bulletproof graphene composite. Their journey through London had been a parade of contrasts. The historic architecture alongside cutting-edge buildings that towered like glass monoliths, some of them bending in improbable shapes. The Thames gleamed silver in the moonlight, reflecting the kaleidoscope of lights from the city. Buckingham Palace was more than just a building. It was an imposing symbol of a bygone era, albeit one that had been refitted and refurbished with the advancements of the time. The facade remained much as it had for centuries, a monolith of Palladian grandeur, but the interiors were as modern as they came. Alvin Victorious stepped out onto the crimson carpet that led to the grand entrance. A fleet of drones buzzed overhead, capturing the arrival of the guests for their live streams on the hypernet. A kaleidoscope of colours erupted from the palace, spilling out onto the grounds. Holographic peacocks strutted on the manicured lawns, their tails a brilliant display of shifting colours. Victoria, resplendent in a shimmering gown of silken fabric, weaved with delicate nanofibres that changed colours to match her mood, clutched Alfie's arm. Inside the ballroom was a spectacle of opulence and advanced technology. Crystal chandeliers hung low, casting warm light over the guests. Each intricate piece a mesh of micro-LEDs, capable of changing colours and patterns. A holographic orchestra played a symphony that filled the grand room. Servers, humans and androids alike, circulated the room with vast trays of hors d'oeuvres. The vast room was a buzz with the hum of conversations, the rustle of silk, the clink of glasses, and the subtle undertones of digital melodies. People from all walks of life, dressed in their finery, moved in a waltz of diplomacy and intrigue. Tech tycoons rubbed shoulders with centuries-old aristocratic families, politicians and celebrities alike. Some faces were recognisable, splashed across media screens and hypernet feeds. Others were known only to a select few, their influence silent yet palpable. Alfie and Victoria navigated through the crowd, exchanging pleasantries with acquaintances, keeping their demeanour casual, but their senses on high alert. The grandeur and distractions of the ball served as a glossy veneer over the undercurrents of tension that laced every interaction, every smile, every handshake. As the evening unfolded, the king made his entrance. He was a handsome man, his charisma almost tangible, his energy filling up the room. His laughter echoed through the grand ballroom, a jarring note in the symphony of unease. He held court the heart of the room, entertaining the crowd with anecdotes and jests. Despite the mirth he projected, his eyes held a sharp, calculating gleam. As Alfie watched the spectacle unfold, he couldn't help but feel a storm was brewing beneath the merriment, a storm that would challenge the very foundations of their society. The following day was a tense one. News from the House of Commons had trickled in. 
The king was pushing to pass the Unfair Crypto Acquisitions Act, an odious piece of legislation that sought to impose punitive penalties on those who he claimed were hoarding Bitcoin. In reality, it was a brazen attempt to redistribute wealth, increasing his coffers while emptying those of his subjects. Alfie and Victoria retreated to their private study, a high-tech sanctuary within the grandeur of their historic residence. The tension in the air was palpable as they stood before a large holographic map of Great Britain that floated before them. We have to act, Alfie said, his fingers tracing over the glowing lines that marked territories and counties, each a possible battlefield. Victoria nodded, her gaze intense. The king is playing a dangerous game. He's turning the commoners against us, using them as a shield while he enriches himself. He's turning them against us by exploiting their insecurities, by stoking their fears, Alfie continued. His fingers came to rest on the border between Derbyshire and Yorkshire. He tells them we are the enemy, that we hoard our wealth and contribute nothing. He paints us as the villain. Victoria moved to stand beside him, her hand finding his. But we know the truth. We are the ones who brought prosperity to this nation. We are the ones who built it on the bedrock of Bitcoin. We have the power to fight him, Alfie said, looking at her. The king is strong, but we have the support of the people. They trust us, they believe in us, and they won't be easily swayed by the king's lies. Together they studied the map, analysing potential alliances and anticipating the moves of their adversaries. Despite the tense atmosphere, there was an unspoken confidence between them. They were a formidable team, each fully aware of the other's strength and determination and they knew they had a nation behind them, ready to rally for their cause. The king's tyranny would not stand, not on his watch. A chill ran through the city as Alfie departed for London. London, the heart of the kingdom, was a pulsating metropolis, its veins filled with the unending traffic of autonomous vehicles and high-speed maglev trains. The city's skyline was a testament the incredible wealth that Bitcoin had brought the nation. Skyscrapers kissed the clouds, neon lights danced across their surfaces at night, painting a futuristic dreamscape. But beneath the glittering surface, tension simmered. The House of Lords was a battlefield of a different kind. Here, power wasn't measured in lasers or drones, but in the subtle art of negotiation and influence. Alfie was well versed in this battleground. As he strode through the grand halls of the parliament, his every step echoed power and determination. He was greeted by the sight of his fellow peers, all in their digital armours, suits enhanced with advanced technology to present data and help with communication. The chamber was filled with a murmuring tension. The lords were divided, some sided with the king, others with Alfie. As Alfie took his place, silence fell. All eyes were on him, waiting to hear his response to the king's latest move. With a clear voice that cut through the heavy silence, Alfie began, My lords, we are facing an unprecedented crisis. The king, who should be our protector, has become our adversary. The Unfair Crypto Acquisitions Act is nothing more than a brazen power grab. 
It is designed to cripple us while strengthening the king. His words rang out in the chamber, his voice echoing against the ancient walls. There were murmurs of agreement, but also sounds of dissent. He knew not everyone would stand with him, but he would not back down. His gaze swept the room, looking for signs of support. We are the stewards of this great nation. It is our duty to protect it from tyranny, no matter the source. I ask you, my lords, stand with me, stand for freedom, stand for Bitcoin. The room erupted into a cacophony of voices. Some cheered, some shouted, some remained silent, their faces unreadable. But Alfie stood tall, his conviction unshakable. He would not allow the king to tear apart the society they had built. It was a battle he was ready to fight, and one he was determined to win. The room fell silent as the king rose. He was a towering figure. Lord Derbyshire, he began, I understand your concerns, but let's not forget the course of history. His gaze was unfaltering, holding Alphys as he spoke. It was I who advocated for the Bitcoin standard when the world scoffed at us. I defended the rights of the people when the world was ready to abandon them to the unforgiving tide of poverty. It was I who stood against the old world's financial system and embraced this new era. And I did it for the people, not for power. He paused, letting his words sink in. Now you accuse me of tyranny, but let's not forget taxation is not a new concept. It's a necessity for maintaining order and prosperity. Our society, with its maglev trains, holographic projectors and futuristic skyscrapers, is a testament to this. The King's words were met with a mixed chorus of approval and scepticism. He raised his hand, silencing the room. I am your King, not a tyrant. I am doing what is needed for the betterment of our kingdom. You may not agree with my methods, but you cannot question my intent. He looked Alfie in the eye, a challenge unspoken. I am ready to discuss and debate, but let it not be said that I am a king who steals from his people. I am a king who asks for their support in maintaining the greatness of our kingdom. Are you ready to do the same, Lord Derbyshire? His challenge hung heavy in the air, the room silent as all eyes turned back to Alfie. It was clear that the king wasn't going to back down without a fight. The battle lines were drawn and the political conflict was escalating towards a boiling point. The stunned silence that followed the king's words was broken by the measured steady voice of Alfie. He rose from his seat, his face calm but his eyes aflame with defiance. Your Majesty, the greatness of our kingdom has never been maintained by the force of taxation. It has been built and sustained by genius, labour and tenacity of its people. His voice echoed in the chamber, each word reverberating with intensity. He swept his gaze around the room, meeting the eyes of the peers of the realm, both his supporters and detractors. Throughout the course of our history, whenever a monarch has threatened the liberties and wealth of the people, it has been the duty of the aristocracy to intercede. His gaze hardened, and his voice took in a harsh, commanding tone. Recall the Magna Carta, 
forced upon King John by the barons when he threatened their rights. Recall the glorious revolution where James II was overthrown in favour of William of Orange when his policies clashed with the liberties of his subjects. He turned his gaze back to the king. Your Majesty, you championed the Bitcoin standard, but it was the people who adopted it and made it a success. They embraced the technology and they reaped the rewards. Your insistence on taxation threatens to undo all that we, as a society, have achieved. The chamber was silent as Alfie paused. Then he dropped the bombshell. Rumours are that the Royal Treasury is nearly bankrupt. If true, it would explain this desperate grasping for the wealth of the people. Is this the case, Your Majesty? The chamber exploded in a chaos of voices, accusations, denials, gasps of shock. The implications of the Duke's words were far-reaching and dangerous. The political landscape was quickly becoming a battlefield, and Alfie had just fired the first shot. With a furious gaze, the king rose to his feet, the churning chaos in the chamber seeming to fall inwards, an angry sea soaked into the vortex of his enraged stare. The grandeur of his position filled the room, radiating from him like a storm about to unleash its might. A hush spread, starting from those closest to him and flowing outwards, until the only sounds were the murmurs dying in throats and the harsh, amplified breathing of the agitated room. Of what, exactly, do you accuse me, Alfie? The king's words cut through the remaining silence like a blade. His voice was calm, a stark contrast to the, to the tempest in his eyes. Do you accuse me of protecting the sovereignty of this kingdom, ensuring its prosperity and stability? The king began to pace before his throne, his voice growing louder, more powerful. You claim I'm bankrupting the nation, yet it is your class, the aristocrats, who have seen their fortunes expand under the Bitcoin standard, while the majority only witnessed the spectacle. Yes, they live better lives, but the gasp, the chasm between us and them has never been so vast. Suddenly he stopped and turned, pointing a finger at Alfie. And now, instead of aiding the kingdom in its hour of need, you dare to challenge my authority, call for a rebellion. Is it not your duty to support the crown? The king's accusation lingered in the air, a challenge thrown to the Duke of Derbyshire. The chamber remained quiet, holding its breath for the Duke's response. The king had called his bluff. Now it was up to Alfie to play his hand. Alfie rose, the silence of the room wrapping him in an almost sacred stillness. He nodded to the king, a grim acknowledgement of the gauntlet thrown. Your Majesty, he began, his voice echoing through the grand chamber. You talk of duty, yet you ignore the greatest duty of all, that which is owed to our people. He turned to face the gallery, his gaze sweeping across the faces of his fellow lords and barons. Do you remember the spirit of 1215, my lords, when the barons of England stood up against King John, demanding the recognition of their rights? Do we not stand in a similar situation now? Have we not the same duty as they once did? He turned back to face the king, 
and intensity in his eyes. Our tales and history have always celebrated such acts of courage and determination against unjust rulers. The legend of Robin Hood robbing from the corrupt and providing for the downtrodden, the ordinary people, has long been a symbol of hope and resilience. Alfie paused, letting his words sink in before continuing. Do you not recall the words of Sir Edward Coke, who declared that a man's house is his castle, and each man's home is his safest refuge? It's the same philosophy that reverberates through our veins, our right to protect what we earn, to do as we please with our bitcoins. It is no different, your majesty. Is not the cause of justice the foundation of every monarchy? Christopher Marlowe questioned what are kings when regiment is gone, but perfect shadows and a sunshine day. Without the rule of law, the respect for individual rights, what separates us from tyranny? He looked around the room, locking eyes with his peers, seeking validation. Does the Bible not state, thou shall not steal? It does not stipulate, except by majority vote. The commandments are absolute, your majesty. Finally, he turned back to the king, his gaze firm. Yet here we are, talking of higher taxes and usurping our wealth. Words have marked the chapters of our history, your majesty, but they have rarely been the end of it. A decision looms over us all, and this time it might not be the pen that proves mightier. With that he took his seat, leaving the room in stunned silence. His words hung heavily in the air, a potent mixture of history, literature and law, presenting a choice that would shape the future of the realm. The ball was now back in the king's court. The king stared back at Alfie, the silence in the chamber almost deafening. Then, with an unsettling calmness, he stood and replied, Indeed, Lord Derbyshire, history does repeat itself, and shadows do fall when the sun is high. But remember, it's not the pen or the sword that proves mightier, it's the hand that wields it. With that, he pivoted, his cloak sweeping behind him, as he exited the chamber, leaving an atmosphere of tension and uncertainty in his wake. Hours later, in the softly lit bar of the House of Lords, Alvi was hosting an impromptu gathering. The velvet upholstery, dark wood and brass fixtures created an ambience of sophistication and privacy, a perfect setting to discuss matters of such gravity. Peers were clustered around tables engaged in hushed conversations. A few were at the bar, their eyes constantly flicking towards Alfie's direction, obviously waiting for a chance to converse. The air buzzed with an electric current of anticipation and anxiety. With a glass of vintage scotch in hand, Alfie moved from group to group, his warm smile belaying the seriousness of their conversations. His words were measured, his tone persuasive, Every now and then he would clasp someone on the shoulder, assure of camaraderie and solidarity. He hoped with every fibre of his being that he had said enough, that he had done enough to galvanise the lords and barons, to convince them 
of the direness of the situation. But only time would tell if he had indeed rallied enough support, and whether his words would have the intended impact. It was a dangerous game of political chess, and his next move could either checkmate the king or topple his own kingdom. The day was just breaking when Alfie, along with a few trusted aides, left London the next day. The city's grand edifices and statues receded in the background, the dawn's soft glow imparting an ethereal beauty to the scene. Yet Alfie's mind was far from appreciating such tranquillity. He had a civil war to prepare for. Back at Chatsworth House, the serene facade of the grand estate belied the feverish activity within. In the expansive study, Alfie was immersed in mapping out strategies. The grand oak table, usually adorned with curiosities and artefacts, was now a battlefield of its own. Maps sprawled across its surface, markers indicating troop locations, a chessboard on one side representing allegiances and potential moves. His wife Victoria proved to be a valuable ally. Her understanding of politics, her network of connections and her relentless drive made her an indispensable part of the team. She worked the holophones, rallying support, keeping in constant communication with other noble families, persuading, cajoling, asserting. Simultaneously, their estates had become centres of martial activity. Under Alfie's instructions, his trusted men began the task of mustering an army. The vast grounds reverberated with the sounds of drilling soldiers, clanging armour and thundering hooves. Technology interwove with traditional combat methods. Laser sharpshooters trained alongside swordsmen, drones buzzed above cavalry units, and holographic projectors played out various battle scenarios. In the midst of all the turmoil, Alfie stood resolute. His journey had brought him here, from the pleasure-filled nights to the heated debates in Parliament, and now to the brink of war. But he was not a man to shy away from his destiny. He had ignited the spark, now he must guide it into a flame that would blaze a trail to a more equitable future. This was no longer just a fight for Bitcoin, or for the privileges of the aristocracy. It was a fight for justice, for a Britain that was fair and free. Alfie was pulled into the dimly lit corridor, his hand clasped firmly by Victoria. She led him into the private sanctuary of their chamber a world away from the maps and battle plans that littered the war room. The hushed silence within stood in stark contrast to the cacophony of war planning that echoed through the rest of the manor. As the door clicked shut, she stepped back, studying him with a tender intensity. You look as if the weight of the world is on your shoulders, she observed, her voice a soft murmur in the quiet room. Alfie let out a short laugh, running a hand through his tousled hair. Sometimes it feels as though it is. In the hush that followed, Victoria crossed the room, her fingers brushing against the fabric of his shirt. Her touch, a warm contrast against the chill, sent shivers coursing through him. He watched her, his gaze following the graceful arch of her fingers as they moved to undo his top button. Her voice broke the silence, her words feather light. It may feel like that, Alfie, but you're not alone. You have me, 
and the support of those who believe in your cause. His hands found hers, spinning her movements. He looked at her, his gaze searching her face. I know, Victoria. It's just that the thought of what's to come, it scares me. A soft smile curled her lips, her thumbs tracing over his knuckles. It scares me too, Alfie, but we will face it together. He nodded, pressing his lips towards her forehead in a tender kiss. Together. In the midst of the impending chaos, their world shrunk to the intimacy of whispered confessions and soft touches. The conversation carried on, their words weaving a tapestry of shared strength and resolve. The imminent future, laced with uncertainty and war, felt less daunting as they drew strength from each other, finding solace within their shared courage. Their love, a quiet cocoon against the world outside, bore the promise of resilience to face the storm that lay ahead. Alfie and Victoria held each other for a while longer, their hearts beating in sync. But the reality of the world outside was inevitable, and soon Alfie had to pull himself away. The night was young, and there were still many things that needed to be done. It was time to prepare for battle. The next morning, Chatsworth House was a flurry of activity. As Alfie walked down the grand staircase, he could hear the changing of metals in the courtyard where the graphene smiths had started to fashion armour and weapons. Soldiers were beginning their training, their chants rhythmic in the morning air. Over breakfast, Alvin and Victoria, along with their military advisors, pored over maps and charts. They were planning their strategies, discussing the strengths and weaknesses of their forces, identifying potential allies and looking for any vulnerabilities in the King's defences. Their chief advisor, Sir William Chambers, a grizzled veteran of many campaigns, pointed out the key locations that needed to be defended at all costs. The ancestral homes, my lord, they are the backbone of our strength. We cannot allow them to fall into the king's hand. Victoria added, we also need to secure the loyalty of the common people. The king's arbitrary laws have angered many. We need to assure them we are on their side. The meetings carried on for hours, with decisions being made, plans being refined, and strategies being finalised. It was a demanding task, but Alfie was relentless. He knew the stakes. The future of the nation was hanging in the balance. Outside, the preparations continued. The once peaceful estate was now transformed into a military camp. Soldiers drilled the courtyards, weapons were being made and sharpened, and supplies were being stockpiled. War was on the horizon, and Chatsworth House was ready. Alfie, amidst all this, could not help but think back to his conversation with Victoria the previous night. The thought of the impending conflict did scare him, but her words gave him strength. As he looked around, he knew that they were not alone. Together, they would face the storm that was coming. The city of Sheffield buzzed with energy. Its modern skyline a testament to its transformation from a rust-belt city to a vibrant hub of technology and innovation. Alfie had always felt a special connection to this city, with its forward-looking mentality and its readiness to embrace the future. Alfie's sleek, maglev car, a marvel of engineering with a sleek silhouette and silent operation, glided effortlessly through the bustling streets. He reached the city centre, 
where the town hall, a grand Victorian structure, stood proudly amidst the gleaming glass and steel towers. As he walked into the opulent contents room, he was greeted by a diverse group. The city leaders, intellectuals, business tycoons, representatives from the police force and university deans. He recognised many faces, people he had worked with over the years, people who had helped shape this city. The room was filled with anticipation. With characteristic charisma, Alfie took control of the room. Friends, it is no secret that our nation is on the brink of conflict. I am here today to hear your concerns and understand your perspectives. I have always valued your advice and wisdom, and today, more than ever, we need unity and clarity. What followed was a frank discussion. The city's leaders were concerned about the repercussions of the conflict on trade and the economy. The university representatives were worried about the potential disruptions in academia. The police were anxious about maintaining law and order amidst the brewing unrest. However, there was one common thread in everyone's discourse, a deep discontentment with the king's policies, a collective resentment against the monarch's blatant disregard for the rights and prosperity of the people. Alfie listened intently, his sharp mind analysing every piece of information, his brilliant political acumen at work. The meeting went on into the night, ideas were exchanged, strategies discussed and alliances forged. By the end of the meeting, Alfie felt a surge of hope. The city was with him, the people were with him. The road ahead was uncertain and treacherous, but he knew that he was not alone. He had the strength and support of Sheffield, and with that he knew he could face anything. The meeting was a charged space. Alfie found himself engaged in discussions, academic and practical, absorbing the complexities of the situation. He sought the insights of those he trusted, the city's educators, foremost among them. Professor Adams, Alfie turned to the university dean at the end of the meeting, a renowned scholar on the British Constitution. I've always valued your wisdom. What's your take on this situation? Professor Adams, a man of few words but vast knowledge, looked at him thoughtfully. Alfie, the Constitution gives us guidance, but its interpretation has always been subjective. The King believes he's acting within his rights, but your cause, standing against what can be seen as tyranny, has its roots in the Magna Carta. That's powerful. Alfie then engaged with the city's business community. Mr Patel, he addressed the owner of a large tech company. How are the King's policies affecting your operations? Mr Patel sighed. Alfie, it's causing a lot of unrest. Investments are being held back. We're all worried about what's next, but we stand with you, we trust you. Alfie nodded. He turned to the city's police commissioner. Commissioner Ross, maintaining law and order will be vital in the coming months. How can we ensure that? Ross, a strong seasoned officer, met Alfie's gaze. We'll need resources, Alfie, and clear directives. People respect you, they'll listen if you address them. It's important we keep the peace. As the night unfolded, Alfie found himself deep in conversations, sometimes heated, sometimes quiet. He listened, asked, answered and clarified. He felt connected to the city and its people, their hopes, fears and determination intertwining with his own. As he stepped out of the meeting, a new day dawned. 
a day fraught with uncertainty, but held together by a shared belief in a brighter future. Alfie returned to Chatsworth under the light of the half-moon, its ethereal glow casting long shadows across the sweeping vistas of the estate. It was an image of grandeur and serenity, but under this peaceful facade, Chatsworth was stirring. The estate was transformed into a formidable stronghold. The grand front lawn, which was used to host extravagant garden parties, was now a drilling ground for soldiers. Their staccato footsteps echoed in the crisp morning air as they practiced complex formations under the watchful eye of experienced sergeants. In the wide courtyard where guests were usually greeted, armament shipments were being unloaded and inventoried. Crates packed with lasers and drones were placed in neat rows, their grim metallic sheen glinting under the artificial lights. Holographic projectors were tested, their spectral images flickering and merging with the darkness. The stables had been converted into a makeshift infirmary, equipped with the latest medical technology. Holographic imaging systems and nanotech healing devices stood ready for the inevitable casualties. Every corner of the great mansion buzzed with activity. Secretaries rushed about with data pads. Clarks organised ration supplies, while graphene smiths hammered away at new armour designs in the smithy. Even the grand halls were filled with hushed, urgent discussions among Alfie's council, their expressions grim yet resolute. And, all around this whirlwind of preparation, the magnificent gardens of Chatsworth bloomed undeterred, offering splashes of colour against the austere backdrop. They seemed to serve as a quiet reminder of what was at stake, the beauty, the grandeur and the peace that hung in the balance. In the heart of this bustling fortress, Alfie found himself in a strange kind of calm. His heart pounded with the heavy beat of impending conflict, but his mind was clear. He was at the helm of this storm, steering it towards a future he hoped would bring better days for his people and his country. One by one, the assembled nobles took their turn to speak. Alfie sat back and listened as the voice of resistance resonated around the room. Lord Richard of Newark was the first to rise. I stand here for the freedom of the people, he said. His voice echoed throughout the hall, echoing the conviction in his words. The king seeks to leech off their hard-earned wealth, that they have reaped with the sweat of their brows and the power of Bitcoin. I cannot stand by and watch their liberties being eroded. That's why I'm here. Next was Lady Bethany, Countess of Mansfield, a fierce woman known for her sharp intellect. I have invested much in the education and development of my county. Our institutions, our businesses, they flourished because we have always been able to operate outside the reach of the Crown's greed. We cannot surrender our economic freedom now. Duke Harold of Grimsby stood up. He was an imposing figure, a seasoned military strategist. I have seen kings come and go. They forget that they reign by the will of the people, not by divine right or iron fist. If our king wants a fight, then we shall not back down. Each noble in their turn voiced their discontent, their war aims and the hopes they harboured for their territories. They spoke of freedom, prosperity, of the future where the people were the true masters of their wealth, unshackled by the chains of monarchic greed. Finally, it was the turn of Earl Alexander of Lincoln. 
He was one of the oldest among them, a man of wisdom and experience. The spirit of Bitcoin was freedom, democracy. It has given us much, and we've built our society around its principles. I will not stand by and watch those principles tarnished by a monarch who feels threatened by the power of the people. This is our fight, and it's one we must win. The room echoed with the resolve of their words, each noble ready to take up arms in defence of their people and the principles of Bitcoin. They were united, each fighting for their own peace of this grand vision for a free, prosperous society. Alfie rose once again, his imposing stature dwarfing even the tallest of his comrades. Silence fell upon the room as he began to speak. We've witnessed a revolution in our lifetime, he began, his voice ringing out, clear and steady. The birth of Bitcoin and the society that blossomed around it, it has broken chains, empowered the common man, and fostered a prosperity we could scarcely have dreamed of. We've seen the rise of a new era, one that values liberty, individuality and economic freedom above all. His gaze swept the room, meeting the eyes of his peers. Our king was once a champion of these values. He was a radical, ushering in reforms that empowered us, the aristocracy. He respected our rights and our role in society, but power corrupts, it blinds and deafens. And in his desire to hold on to his power, he has forgotten the essence of his own radical roots. A quiet murmur echoed throughout the hall as the nobles listened intently. Rebellion, Alfie continued, is not a sign of a fallen kingdom. On the contrary, it is a sign of a kingdom that is alive. A kingdom where the people care enough to voice their discontent, to fight for their rights, and that is the society we've built. A society that won't bow down in the face of tyranny. He paused, letting his words sink in. As aristocrats, we have been granted power by the people. Our duty is to them. We are their shield against tyranny, their voice in the halls of power. It's time we fulfilled our duty. The king has gone too far, and it's our responsibility to bring balance back. As Alpha finished speaking, the room filled with their resounding silence, heavy with the weight of their collective resolution. Their cause was clear. The nobles, once fragmented, were now unified by their dedication to the principles of Bitcoin, freedom, and their duty towards the people. The fight against the king was just the beginning. Just as Alfie took his seat, a glowing light materialised at the centre of the table, morphing into a complex holographic display. A few murmurs of astonishment rippled through the assembly, quickly overtaken by a chilling silence. The crisp, neutral voice of the AI that governed the hologram filled the room. King's movement report, it began, and as it did, a detailed map of Britain illuminated, marked with blinking icons signifying the Royal Armed Forces. The Royal Navy has mobilised. Their fleets are currently encircling ports owned by the Rebellion. Full naval blockade is expected within the next 24 hours. A collective gasp echoed in the room as the map zoomed into the coastlines, showcasing in real time the unfolding naval manoeuvres. The Royal Air Force is assuming control of the skies, the AI continued, the hologram shifting to illustrate the flight patterns and designated zones of the Air Force. Airstrikes are expected on key points, and air superiority is currently in the hands of the monarchy.
The room hummed with whispered conversations and alarmed glances. Lastly, the AI's voice continued, eerily calm amid the rising tension. The army is in preparation phase. The strategic outposts around aristocratic estates have been identified. The king's army is anticipated to attempt seizing control of these. The hologram displayed the locations of these outposts around their estates, underscoring the gravity of the threat they were facing. The room plunged into a tense silence, the holographic display painting a stark picture of the imminent conflict. The war, it seemed, had just begun. The British Space Service, as mandated by the Parliamentary Act of 2032, remains under the direct authority of the Houses of Parliament, their AI reported, its voice cutting through the tense silence like a knife. The hologram shimmered, shifting to display a cluster of icons floating high above the surface of the planet. Currently, their stance is neutral, pending direction from Parliament. Alfie rose from his seat, a determined look on his face as he addressed the room. The Space Service might be our ace in the hole, the balance we need in this conflict, he said. It's crucial we work on garnering the support of the Commons in Parliament. If we can convince them, control of the Space Service would give us a huge strategic edge. He paused, looking over the assembled lords, dukes, earls and counts, all seemingly hanging onto his every word. The Space Service doesn't just control satellites. It has authority over advanced weaponry, strategic intelligence capabilities, even the potential for space-based strikes, if it came to that. We have allies in Parliament. We need to leverage that support now more than ever. The room broke into murmurs. The faces of the gathered nobles filled with a mix of hope and uncertainty. This was uncharted territory, a conflict none of them ever envisaged. Yet, in the face of imminent war, Alfie's leadership was their beacon, his strategy their guiding path through the looming storm. As morning dawned, Chatsworth Estate took on an eerie quiet, the calm before the storm. The council had worked into the night, drafting plans and strategies. At the heart of the bustling operation was Alfie. His once leisurely life as an aristocrat seemed a distant memory as he found himself neck deep in war plans, negotiation strategies and contingency plans. Beside him, as always, was Victoria. Her steady presence was a source of strength for him, a beacon of hope amidst the uncertainty. Days turned into whirlwinds of activity. The council received updates from their informants in the commons. They were encouraging signs that their allies were making progress, but the outcome was far from certain. News from London trickled in. Rumours of the king's growing paranoia, stories of dissent amongst the common people, reports of increased surveillance and strict curfews. The king was certainly feeling the pressure. In the midst of all of this, Alfie received a surprise visit. A cloaked figure appeared at the gates of Chatsworth, claiming to bring a message from a friend in the commons. But this was no ordinary messenger. This was a member of the infamous hacker group, the Cypherpunks. The Cypherpunks were the underground architects of Bitcoin's rise, the faceless catalysts of the revolution that had transformed society. Their intervention in this battle of titans was unexpected, 
but not unwelcome. The message was short and cryptic. The power of the commons is with you. The king's folly is his downfall. The space service is but a pawn. Look to the stars, but remember, the real battle is on the ground. With that, the cloaked figure disappeared, as mysteriously as they had appeared, leaving Alfie and his council to decipher the hidden meanings. As the battle lines were drawn, it was becoming increasingly clear that this was not just a battle for the control of the nation. This was a battle for the very soul of the society they had created. The political, the technological, the societal, they were all intertwining, pushing towards an uncertain future. But Alfie was resolute. He knew the stakes were high, but he was ready to fight. For freedom, for the people, for the future. Alfie spent the following days rallying his allies, reassuring his subjects and making preparations for the inevitable confrontation. News from London arrived daily, carried by both human and digital couriers, some bringing hope, others grim portents. Every day the king tightened his iron grip around the capital, while dissent bubbled beneath the surface, threatening to explode. Meanwhile, in Chatsworth, the Grand Estate took on the characteristics of a wartime command centre. The manicured lawns were filled with training soldiers. The tranquil gardens became meeting spots for strategy sessions, and the majestic halls echoed with the sound of urgent planning. Holograms of battlegrounds, troop movements and potential targets flickered in every corner, giving the ancient manor a futuristic ambience. Victoria, for her part, became a beacon of stability in these turbulent times. She was there at every meeting, her gaze steady, her determination unwavering. While Alfie spearheaded the rebellion, Victoria was the unshakable backbone that kept them upright. She hosted the families of the soldiers training in their grounds, comforted their fears, and promised them that their loved ones were fighting for a noble cause. The words of the cyberpunk's messenger echoed in Alfie's mind as the days passed. The power of the commons is with you. He held on to these words, taking them as a sign that their rebellion was not in vain, but he also understood the veiled warning. The space service is but a pawn. A high-stakes chess game was underway, and the right moves had to be made. Next day, another messenger arrived from London. The message it bore was an update from their allies within the house. The commons, it was believed, was likely to vote in favour of the aristocrats. Cheers rang through Chatsworth at the news, bolstering their spirits, but Alfie knew better. The real battle had just begun. The power of the commons might be with them, but they needed more than political manoeuvring to win this battle. It was time to show the king the might of the people. The stakes were high, higher than they'd ever been, but Alfie was not about to back down. This was his fight for the future, for freedom, for the society they'd built on the foundations of Bitcoin. War was coming, and he would meet it head on. As Alfie stared out across the training field of Chatsworth, his gaze hard 
He knew they had to win. The alternative was unthinkable. Alfie received the urgent call at the break of dawn next day, a time when the world was just starting to awaken from its slumber. Manchester, the vibrant city, was under threat. The King's forces were gathering on the outskirts, and local sympathisers were raising the alarm. He wanted to be there. His allies in Manchester were vital to the cause, and the city's strategic position was too important to be lost. They were pioneers in blockchain technology, digital privacy and the Bitcoin trade, whose intellectual firepower was as valuable as any weapon. Suiting up in his ceremonial uniform with modern military-grade enhancements, Alfie left Victoria with a tender goodbye, knowing the perils that lay ahead. He stepped onto the landing pad where his convoy of drone-type transports awaited. These were autonomous, gargantuan structures, suspended by anti-gravity technology, shaped like predatory birds, armoured to withstand enemy fire, and funded by the very technology they were fighting to protect. The Peak District was a treacherous landscape as he made his way across it, a beauty made perilous by the very nature that created it. Yet he found solace. Rolling green hills interrupted by dramatic limestone cliffs, ancient woods whispering tales of yore, tranquil rivers and tarns reflecting the dance of clouds overhead. It was a land that, despite the technologies of the age, remained wild and untamed. As the drone convoy made its slow journey west, it was though time itself had slowed, a peculiar stillness before a tempest. But then, the tranquillity was shattered. The onboard systems warned of incoming fast movers, Royal Air Force fighters closing in rapidly. The once serene journey was now a high-stakes aerial race. Full power to shields, evasive manoeuvres now, Alfie commanded the drone. The AI complied, swerving the convoy in a coordinated dance as it unleashed countermeasures against the incoming missiles. The sky lit up with explosions, streaks of smoke crisscrossing the azure expanse. The drones retaliated, spitting out barrages of defensive plasma energy, illuminating the sky in hues of blue and white. Several RAF fighters were caught in the volley, their wreckage careening down to the valleys below. But they were outnumbered, and the convoy took damage. With the situation deteriorating, Alfie made a quick decision. Full retreat to Chatsworth, he commanded. The convoy turned, accelerating back towards the safety of their home base. The anti-aircraft emplacements at Chatsworth stood sentinel-like, their long-range sensors picking up the returning drones and the enemy forces in pursuit. As the castle loomed into view, the emplacements sprang to life, sending a hailstorm of high-energy rounds at the approaching enemy fighters. The Royal Air Force, caught in the ferocious crossfire, broke off the pursuit. Alfie's convoy made it back to the castle, damaged but intact. As the drones touched down and he disembarked, the grim realisation hit him. This was no mere posturing by the King. The Civil War had started.
The digital billboards across the country flashed with the harrowing headline, Civil War Begins. The news spread like wildfire, bouncing across the internet and social media, a viral thread that consumed everything else. The citizens of Britain were gripped with an uneasy terror. Business shuttered, schools closed, streets emptied. A ghostly echo of 2020 resounded, eerily reminiscent of the great lockdowns. Alfie found himself in a grim revere, trapped in a haunting similarity. A different kind of contagion spread this time. Fear, uncertainty, anxiety. As the leader of the aristocrats, his responsibility weighed heavy on his shoulders. The echoes of his forebears' struggles reverberated in his mind. Their lessons hard learned through battles won and lost. In the political labyrinth of London, the British Parliament convened in an emergency session. Their location hidden for security purposes. Tensions ran high as the future of the country hung precariously in the balance. In the centre of the maelstrom was the British Space Service, the BSS, the crown jewel of the nation's space aspirations. It was the ultimate high ground, a game-changer that could sway the tide of war in favour of the side it chose. The BSS had always been a civilian branch, free of royal or military influence, reporting directly to Parliament. It had been a symbol of national pride, exploring the cosmos, pioneering technology and protecting Earth's interests in the vast expanse of space. Now it found itself at the centre of a bitter conflict. Parliament was split into factions. There were those who advocated supporting the King, citing a historical duty to the Crown. There were others who argued for the aristocrats, drawing on the values of liberty, progress and the inherent right of individuals. Then there was the faction advocating for neutrality, claiming that the BSS should remain a beacon of impartiality and peace. The debates raged on, with passionate speeches and heated arguments echoing in the hallowed halls of Parliament. The future of the country hung in the balance, and the decision they would make would have a far-reaching implication. In the ornate drawing room of Chatsworth House, Alfie and Victoria prepared for this crucial virtual session of Parliament. The stakes were high and the weight of their words would echo through the nation. As Alfie looked into the camera, he knew his message needed to resonate with the common people and their elective representatives in Parliament. Members of the Commons, citizens of our great nation, Alfie began, his tone serious. We stand on the precipice of a decision that will shape the future of our country. Our beloved nation is torn apart by conflict, and the British Space Service, a symbol of our unity and progress, finds itself at the heart of this maelstrom. Victoria added, The question we now face is one of principle and precedence. The king and the aristocracy have been the figureheads of our system, but the real power, the real decision-making, has always been with you, the democratically elected representatives of the people. Alfie took over. 
We are a parliamentary democracy. It is in your chamber that our laws are made. It is to your chamber that the BSS reports. The king may be the face of the realm, but the soul of our nation lies with you, the parliament. Victoria gave a gentle nod. The question now is not whether it is the king versus the aristocrats or the parliament versus the king. The real question is, where does the power truly lie? It is not with the people, with you, their chosen representatives. We call upon you to remember the principles of our democratic society. Alfie continued, the vote on the British Space Service's allegiance is not just about military might or strategic advantage. It is about the democratic soul of our nation. We ask you, representatives of the Commons, to vote in favour of the BSS joining us, the People's Rebellion. Let us not allow our nation to be ripped apart by tyranny. Let us stand for liberty, for progress, for the rights of individuals. The decision is in your hands. As the screen flickered off, Alfie and Victoria shared a look of deep understanding. The die had been cast, and now all they could do was wait and hope their words would sway the commons in their favour. As the session began, Alfie and Victoria watched virtually with a tense anticipation. Elected representatives from across the country took to the floor one by one to share their views, opinions and concerns about the ongoing civil war and the role of the British Space Service. The Member of Parliament for Liverpool stood first, a woman of slight build but a commanding voice. We are on the precipice of a decision that will echo through the ages, she began. Our country is not just in the grip of a civil war, but a struggle for the very soul of our nation. The BSS is a symbol of our progress, our unity. The choice we make today will dictate its path. Next, the representative from Leeds, a middle-aged man with a reputation for strict talk, took to the stage. It is not the duty of the BSS to choose sides in a political squabble, he said firmly. It exists to protect our country and its citizens. The BSS should stay neutral, focus on keeping the peace, not join a side in the civil war. Then the Member of Parliament for Cornwall, a staunch supporter of the King, rose to speak. The King is our rightful ruler, appointed by God and history, he said, his voice echoing throughout the virtual conference. The BSS should align with the monarchy to restore order and peace to our land. Finally, the representative for Sheffield, a known ally of Alfie's, took to the floor. He was young, passionate and persuasive. The question before us is not about who should rule, but who does the ruling serve, he asked. The BSS was created to protect the people of this country. As such, it should align with the rebels who are standing for the people against the oppressive rule of a monarch who has lost his way. As the speeches came to a close, Alfie and Victoria leaned back, their eyes locked on the screen. The words had been spoken, the arguments had been made. Now it was time for the vote. The fate 
of the British Space Service and perhaps their rebellion rested in the hands of these elected representatives. The speakers fell silent and the Speaker of the House stood to address the chamber. A hush fell as he cleared his throat, his face solemn in the virtual conference. Members of the House, he began, his voice echoing across the digital ether. We have heard from our colleagues. We have heard the arguments and the passions. Now we must decide. Shall the British Space Service align itself with the King, remain neutral or join rebel forces? The screen split into a multitude of small windows, each representing an MP casting their vote. The tension in the digital conference room was palpable as the votes began to roll in. Victoria held Alfie's hand, her fingers gripping his tightly as they watched the screen. The votes began to tally up on the side of the screen, separated into three columns for the King, Neutrality and the Rebels. The numbers climbed steadily, fluctuating back and forth between the three factions. The final result seemed almost impossible to predict. Alfie held his breath as the last few votes came in, watching the numbers shift one final time. The Speaker of the House cleared his throat once more. The results of the vote are as follows, he said, his voice resonating through the silence. In favour of the King, 150 votes. In favour of neutrality, 200 votes. And in favour of the rebel forces, 250 votes. A gasp went through the entire country, Alfie felt. Alfie felt a rush of exhilaration. The British Space Service was aligning with the rebel forces. The Commons was effectively siding with the aristocrats in the Civil War. The rebels had their protection from above. As the ramifications of this decision settled in, the room erupted into muted applause, cheers and heated discussion. I must remind everyone, Alfie said, turning to the viewers watching their broadcast, that the British Space Service is not a military body, it is civilian, yet its alignment with us is more than symbolic, it is a strategic asset. Their logistical capabilities, communication networks, satellite coverage, it's a vast repository of support. But more than that, this decision by the Commons signals a profound shift in the political landscape. Parliament has essentially sided with us. Before they could revel in their victory, the viewer flashed with the emblem of the House of Commons. Alfie and Victoria looked at each other, surprised, etched across their faces, as they watched the King entering the Commons. His ceremonial robes flowed behind him, his expression stern as he ascended to the Speaker's podium. An audible gasp echoed through the chamber. Victoria, Alfie breathed. This hasn't happened since Charles I. An ominous president, Victoria replied, her eyes wide with disbelief. What on earth is he doing? They watched in stunned silence as the King surveyed the room. Then slowly, deliberately, he began to speak. The echoes of his voice filled the commons, and his words rang out to every corner of the kingdom. Fellow Britons, he began, 
his voice deep and commanding. Today, you have chosen to cast aside centuries of tradition and protocol. You have turned against your sovereign, aligning yourself with those who seek to usurp the throne. The king's words were heavy and silence hung in the air as he spoke. Alfie and Victoria watched, their breaths held as this historical moment unfolded before them. The civil war was escalating and this unexpected move by the king was bound to have far-reaching implications. Only time would tell what those would be. The king's speech continued, an outpouring of royal wrath and disdain. He outlined the duties and responsibilities of the sovereign and pointed out the audacity of the aristocrats to defy his rule, to incite a war within the borders of the kingdom. It was riveting, an unforgettable performance, deeply entrenched in tradition and honour, yet laced with a very real contemporary issue of a civil war. He ended with a dire warning. The British crown is not without its resources. We have the might of our loyal subjects, and I assure you, the might of the royal armed forces is not to be taken lightly. This rebellion shall be quelled. Those who oppose us will face justice. As hush fell over the commons, and the king descended from the podium, his presence an overwhelming force that continued to reverberate even as he exited. The image of his retreating back, a symbol of defiant authority, stayed on the screen long after he had left the chamber. Alfie Victoria sat in stunned silence, processing the gravity of the situation. They had expected a fight, a conflict, but not this. This was a declaration of war, one that threatened not just their cause, but their very existence. We need to act, Victoria finally broke the silence, her voice firm, and we need to do it now. We have the support of the Commons and the BSS. We need to rally our forces. Alfie, it's time. With a heavy sigh, Alfie nodded. He knew what had to be done. This was not just about his estate or the rights of the aristocrats. It was a battle for the soul of their kingdom. All right, Victoria, he said with determination. It's time to mobilise. We're in this now. Let's ensure we come out on top. With renewed vigour, they turned their attention back to their screens, ready to face the challenges ahead. The civil war of Britain had truly begun. The first days of the rebellion were a whirl of plans, strategising and mobilising. The sprawling grounds of Chatsworth became a hive of even more activity as troops trained, drones whirled overhead and defence systems were tested. Victoria oversaw the running of the estate, ensuring the troops were well fed, well rested and well equipped. Alfie focused on the war strategy, constantly in contact with allied nobles and officials from the House of Commons. Meanwhile, across the country, towns and cities felt the tense undercurrent of the brewing war. Businesses shut, schools closed, and families huddled in their homes, watching the news with bated breath. The Bitcoin market fluctuated wildly, with speculators driving up the value one day and down the next. However, life did not come to a standstill. Britons were a resilient lot, their spirits not easily dampened. Open-air markets bustled, community kitchens sprang up, and neighbourhood watch groups kept vigil. The new normal was challenging, but people adapted and persevered, bound together by a collective resilience. Back in Chatsworth, Victoria and Alfie worked tirelessly. Their days were filled with meetings, trainings, 
and countless hours spent hunched over maps and strategy documents. The tension was palpable, but so was the resolve. One day, as the sun was setting, Altby paused, looking out at the scene before him. He saw his troops practicing their drills, the impressive array of drones dotting the sky, and the steadfast determination of his allies. And, amidst it all, he spotted Victoria, her usually composed face marred with exhaustion, but eyes ablaze with unwavering determination. Looking out at the estate, the people he was responsible for, Alfie was reminded of the immense weight of his role. This was more than just a battle against the king. This was a struggle for their way of life, their values and their freedoms. Taking a deep breath, Alfie turned back to his work. The war had begun, and he knew that he would do whatever it took to ensure their victory. The king had made his move, and now it was Alfie's turn to make his. Meanwhile, in the capital, London, was teetering on the edge of chaos. The usually bustling metropolis was held hostage by tension, its characteristic vibrancy muted. Businesses operated at a minimum, streets were less crowded, and the populace watched the development with a cautious eye. Rumours floated in hushed whispers, breathless tales of war and rebellion, of a king's defiance and an aristocratic revolt. Every broadcast, every piece of news was hungrily devoured, dissected and discussed. In the midst of the rising tension, Victoria became the soothing balm, the calming force in Alfie's turbulent world. She seamlessly took over the operations of the estate, ensuring everything ran smoothly despite the chaotic circumstances. Their conversations, once filled with banter and shared dreams, now revolved around strategies and updates. Yet, despite the change, their bond grew stronger, their connection deepening under the shared stress and common goal. In the following weeks, skirmishes broke out in various parts of the country. Small towns and villages bore witness to the initial sparks of conflict. The royal forces clashed with rebel militias, their battles leaving trails of destruction and a rising death toll. Back in the House of Commons, debates raged on. The rebels found allies among the commoners, their cause resonating with those who felt stifled by the monarchy. Support for Alfie's rebellion grew, not just among the aristocracy, but also the common folks, the people who saw hope in the digital freedom that Alfie championed. Alfie and Victoria, along with their allies, watched these developments closely. Every piece of news, every update was a piece of the puzzle, shaping their strategy, guiding their decisions. As they braced themselves for the battles to come, they knew they were not just fighting for themselves, but for a future where digital freedom was not a dream, but a reality. The following weeks were a dizzying blur of battles and strategic manoeuvres. Alfie, having spent a lifetime on peaceful pursuits, found himself thrust into the role of military tactician. He adapted quickly though, immersing himself in military doctrine and strategy, overseeing logistics and taking command of his troops. The first battle took place in the outskirts of Sheffield, a major city firmly in Alfie's influence. The King's forces under the command of General Havisham, a notoriously brutal soldier with a reputation for ruthless efficiency, sought to seize the city and solidify their grip in the north. Using the city's intricate networks of tunnels, roads and rail links, Alfie ordered his forces to establish multiple defensive positions. He understood the psychological aspect of warfare. Each small victory for his forces bolstered morale and made the next fight 
much more winnable. Havisham, known for his reliance on brute force, launched a direct attack on the city's defences. Alfie had anticipated this and ordered the deployment of sophisticated drones and laser defence systems. The initial assault by the king's forces was rebuffed with ease, giving Alfie's men a taste of victory and making a clear statement. They were not an easy target. But Alfie was not naive enough to believe that the war would be won with one victory. He understood the importance of disrupting the enemy's supply lines, creating alliances with neutral factions, and leveraging the unique capabilities of his troops. He started sending small strike teams to target the King's supply convoys, creating a significant disruption in the enemy's logistics. At the same time, he reached out to the neutral dukes in Wales and Scotland, offering them protection and benefits under a new regime if they would join his side. He even leveraged his background in technology to create a hyper-efficient communications network using encrypted blockchain channels. This allowed him to relay commands to his troops instantly and securely, giving his forces a significant edge in manoeuvrability and coordination. Despite the intensity of the conflict, Alfie remained composed and level-headed. His wife Victoria was often at his side, providing counsel and ensuring the war effort remained well supplied. The fight was hard and the road ahead even harder, but with every passing day, the resolve of Alfie and his allies grew stronger. They were not just fighting for themselves, they were fighting for a new Britain. Cities once known for their tranquility and beauty were transformed into fortified strongholds and bases of operation. The streets echoed with the sound of marching boots and rumbling armoured vehicles. In the face of these unsettling challenges, Alfie had to adapt quickly. He was constantly moving from one front to another, coordinating attacks, shoring up defences and rallying his troops. The constant war meetings and strategy sessions were exhausting, but Alfie pushed through with a resolve fuelled by his cause. In one of his significant encounters, the Battle of Liverpool, Alfie's forces managed to secure a strategic victory. The city, a bustling port, was key to controlling supply routes from the Atlantic. Alfie, utilising his knowledge of the city's layout and leveraging his alliances with local militias, executed a daring nighttime raid that caught the King's forces off guard. By dawn, Liverpool was under his control. But the King's forces were far from defeated. With their control over the south and the capital, they launched counter-offensives, probing Alfie's defences and seeking to reclaim lost territory. Their attacks were relentless and brutal, often resulting in heavy losses for both sides. Yet with each battle, it was clear that the balance was tipping in Alfie's favour. His innovative tactics, coupled with his soldiers' unwavering loyalty and the rising support of the people, meant that he was gaining ground. The war was far from over, but for the first time since it had started, a future without the king's tyrannical reign seemed possible. True to his word, the king did not retreat into silence and complacency. A man of power of his pedigree was not built for defeat, but for the stage of conquest. His wrath was not the idle threat of a coward, but the promise of a ruler determined to reclaim what he deemed rightfully his. Unyielding and tireless, he amassed a counter-offensive, the likes of which Britain had not seen in centuries. Drawing from his royal reserves and overseas allies, he dispatched a sizable force towards the north, 
targeting key cities held by Alfie and his allies. His strategy was simple, to bleed the rebellion dry, to crush its spirits, and to demonstrate the cost of insubordination to the Crown. His first target, Manchester. The city, a buzzing hub of commerce and academia, was crucial to Alfie's cause, a centrepiece of his growing influence. The king sought to claim it, not just for its strategic importance, but also for its symbolic value. As the royal forces descended upon the city, a battle of epic proportions ensued. Skies darkened with the smoke of artillery, the roar of lasers filled the air, and the city trembled under the shockwaves of the conflict. Buildings crumbled, streets were bathed in fire and chaos, but the people of Manchester, supported by Alfie's forces, fought back with a ferocity that was heartening. The Battle of Manchester raged for days, exacting a heavy toll on both sides. Alfie, though spread thin across numerous fronts, rushed to the city's aid. His arrival bolstered the morale of the defenders and infused a new vigour into their resistance. His tactical genius was instrumental in countering the king's assault, turning what seemed a certain defeat into a prolonged stalemate. Despite the king's relentless onslaught, Manchester held. The city's endurance was a testament to the resilience of the people and their faith in Alfie's cause. The king's offensive was thwarted, but at a great cost. The scars of the battle marred the city, and its people bore the heavy burden of loss. But the king was far from finished. The failure to take Manchester was a setback, but he still had cards to play. His forces were vast, his resolve unbroken. The war was not over, it had only just begun. The king's brutal assault escalated rapidly. Reports arrived of the overnight raid at the estate of the Duke of Rutland, a critical ally of Alfie's cause. This was no skirmish, no bid for territorial control. The king had sent a clear message. Surrender or be annihilated. Politics may be a game for gentlemen, but this was no longer a game. Word spread that the Duke himself had been taken hostage. His loyal militia, caught off guard by the severity of the attack, fell into disarray. The estate was overrun, its defences shattered into a show of ruthless efficiency. The weight of the news sat heavy on Alfie's heart. He stared at the reports coming in, the sickening images of the destruction burning into his memory. The Duke of Rutland was more than just an ally. He was a friend, a brother in arms. His capture was a punch to the gut, a chilling reminder of the King's merciless tactics. As the news of the assault reached other corners of the country, a ripple of fear passed through the ranks of the aristocracy. The King's action were a clear deviation from the rules of engagement typically represented in civil conflicts. His intent was crystal clear. He did not merely aim to quell the rebellion, he was targeting the aristocracy itself, threatening the very foundations of their societal structure. Alfie knew he had to act, and act fast. The morale of his troops and allies hung by a thread. His leadership was needed now more than ever. The fate of the aristocracy, the fate of Britain, rested on his shoulders. This was not just a war for power anymore. It was a fight for survival, a fight for a society on the brink of extinction for values and a way of life threatened by an unchecked monarch. The stakes had never been higher. As Alfie strategized his next move, he felt an odd sense of calm. It was a clarity that only comes when everything you hold dear is at stake. The king wanted war, he would have it. 
but Alfie wouldn't go down without a fight. The survival of the aristocracy depended on it. Alfie, with a new determination, began the process of integrating the British Space Service into their strategic planning. He had to adapt and overcome the King's brutal tactics. On the sprawling holographic warm-up at Chatsworth, Alfie started laying out his plan. His fingers traced the orbital paths of BSS satellites and stations. The BSS, primarily a civilian entity, was not designed for war. However, the ability to observe, communicate and move swiftly were their key strengths. Alfie, working with the BSS director, Dr. Tamsin Holt, devised a strategy that would use the Space Service's satellite network for better reconnaissance, counteracting the King's surprise attacks. The BSS could provide real-time intelligence on the movements of the King's forces, critical to outmaneuver them. Next, they explored the BSS's potential for faster troop transportation. The BSS's fleet of light shuttles and high-altitude transports could bypass ground-based blockades and quickly move troops and supplies. The integration was not easy. The BSS personnel were civilians and not prepared for the realities of war, but Alfie, Victoria, Dr. Holt and other leaders worked tirelessly to rally them, reminding them of their allegiance to the British people, their duty to Parliament and the critical role they were playing in the fight against the King's tyranny. Using their technological edge, they also initiated a widespread counter-propaganda campaign to expose the King's brutality. BSS's vast communication network broadcasted the atrocities committed by the King's forces, stirring up popular resentment and bolstering support for their cause. As Alfie looked at his refreshed forces, now bolstered by the BSS, he knew they had a fighting chance. The King had power, but they had the people's support and the high ground of space. Following the capture of the Duke of Rutland, Alfie called a conference of aristocrats he greeted them by standing at the head of a long, polished oak table under the grand, painted ceiling of Chatsworth House's main conference room. Victoria sat by his side, a steadfast presence amid the unrest. The room was filled with the murmurings of the gathered aristocrats, a host of dukes, counts and other influential figures in their own right. The air was thick with trepidation, tension knotting every face. Their apprehension centred on one topic, the captured Duke of Rutland. Gentlemen, ladies, Alfie started, casting his gaze across the crowd. His voice echoed in the chamber, commanding the attention of his anxious audience. I understand your fears. The abduction of our fellow Duke of Rutland by the King's forces is alarming. But let me assure you, we are doing everything in our power to secure his safe return. He paused, gathering his thoughts. He had to be careful with his words knowing how vital it was to maintain morale. Our forces are stronger than ever. We have managed to integrate the British Space Service into our strategic planning, providing us with a significant advantage. The room, already on edge, stiffened further at the mention of the BSS. We are now able to track the King's movements and predict his tactics. Our defence is stronger, and our ability to launch swift counter-attacks has improved. Our goal, first and foremost, is to prevent any further abductions like the Duke of Rutland's. The murmuring grew louder, some whispering anxiously, others offering nods of approval. Alfie continued, his voice calm but firm. We are working on a rescue mission for the Duke, but we need to be smart about it. If we rush in, we risk losing more lives. Victoria stood up, 
offering a supportive smile to Alfie before addressing the room. This is a time of war, and in war we must face the harsh realities, she said, her voice echoing in the room. However, we must not let fear control us. We are in this together, and together we will prevail. We are the strength of Britain, and we must not forget that. The room fell silent, the assembled aristocrats taking in Victoria's words. There was a certain reassurance in their united front, a glimmer of hope in the face of the daunting war. Alfie nodded, looking at each face in turn, seeing their determination harden. We will save the Duke of Rutland, and we will end this war, Alfie declared, with resolute certainty. We will not let the King's tyranny destroy our land and our people. We are here, united, and we shall prevail. His words hung in the air, bringing a hushed silence to the room. Slowly, nods of agreement rippled around the table. The aristocrats understood. The battle was far from over, but with unity and determination, they could weather the storm. The two oldest aristocrats, withered by years of political games and war, started whispering to each other in low tones. It was clear their focus was elsewhere, their attention drawn inwards. It was a sight that didn't sit well with Alfie. If you can confer with one another, you can share your concerns with all of us, he said, cutting through the low murmur of the room. The two aristocrats looked up, their eyes meeting Alfie's gaze with a flicker of surprise. There was a moment of hesitation before they nodded, rising to their feet. Confidimus in Victoria Regis, the first began, his voice carrying the weight of years. Orgeta Potentia Aegis. The second joined in, his voice raspy with age. Nos quictum non fidemus in fortuda vestra, plus vale rex quam tu alfi. The room fell silent to their words. The tension palpable. None of the aristocrats could speak Latin. Victoria, who had been silently observing the exchange, stood. Her gaze was steady, her posture regal, as she addressed the two elderly aristocrats in fluent Latin. Regis finis est, quia populus em non amplus diligit, she declared, her voice resounding in the silence. The king's end is near, because the people no longer love him. She then turned to Alfie, her eyes softening with affection. Alfredus magnus dux probabiter, she said, her gaze sweeping across the room, capturing every eye. The room was hanging onto her every word even though nobody could understand her. The silence thickening with anticipation, as she concluded, Vini, Vidi, Vici, she said, her gaze meeting Alphys, the challenge and promise of victory in her words, clear as day. The room erupted in hushed whispers, recognising the famous Latin phrase. Victoria had managed to turn the tide, her words reverberating with the spirit of unity and the promise of victory. News of the king's relentless rampage rippled across the country like a shockwave. Through the grapevine of satellite images, coded messages, and raw footage that were regularly fed into the command centre of Chatsworth, the scale of his brutal campaign was already becoming alarmingly clear. Major urban centres in the Midlands, including Nottingham and Coventry, bore the brunt of the king's wrath. Buildings were reduced to rubble, streets lay deserted, and the once vibrant hubs of commerce and culture were now ghost towns. His merciless soldiers, fiercely loyal to the crown, 
were sweeping through the countryside, leaving a trail of devastation in their wake. The king, cloistered in the safety of Buckingham Palace, continued to issue order after order, tightening his grip on the country. It seemed as if the entire land was held hostage under the iron fist of the monarchy. Alfie and the rebellion found themselves on the back foot, struggling to contain the onslaught while rallying their forces. The brutality of the king's actions had not only stirred shock and fear among the rebels, but also stoked the flames of their determination. This was not a king who was fighting for his country. This was a tyrant clinging to power at the expense of his subjects. The scale of the conflict had escalated beyond their initial expectations. What started as a disagreement over taxation and political control had now spiralled into a full-blown civil war. Alfie, ever the strategical mind, was working tirelessly, poring over maps and battle plans, communicating with the rebellion's scattered forces and planning the next move. The resolve in his eyes was stronger than ever. The king's brutal reign had to be brought to an end. The future of their nation was at stake. As the weeks rolled on, the rebellion found themselves playing a dangerous game of cat and mouse with the king's forces. Alfie was making some headway, chipping away at the outer layers of the king's defences. However, it was becoming clear that the king had the upper hand in terms of sheer military might. Late at night, when the day's skirmishes were over, Alfie were returned to Chatsworth, weary yet unbowed. The situation was becoming dire, but he was not one to back down easily. Each battle we fight, each soldier we lose, brings us closer to our goal. Alfie would often remind his war council, a resolute look in his eyes. The king may have the numbers, but we have the resolve. We fight not for power, but for the right to live free. That is a cause we're fighting for. Despite its inspirational words, the reality of their situation weighed heavily on Alfie. His days were a blur of battle plans, tactical discussions and grim reports from the front lines. He knew he needed a significant victory, a decisive blow that would shake the king's resolve and tip the scales in their favour. As the rebellion dug in their heels, Alfie continued to strategize, looking for the weak point in the king's formidable armour. He held on to the hope that the tide of war would not turn, yet the gnawing fear at the back of his mind would not relent. The thought that he may not have enough power to match the king's army was a spectre that haunted his every move. As the prospect of a brutal assault loomed large, Alfie knew that their stronghold, Chatsworth, was under imminent threat. Victoria sat beside him, studying the holographic screens projected by the BSS. She traced the advancing regiments of the King's army, her expression as composed as ever. Their eyes met, each reading the unspoken concern in the other's gaze. Alfie turned to her, his face grave. Victoria, we could retreat to Scotland. The Lady McAllister and Lord Rees would provide a sanctuary, he suggested, his voice barely above a whisper. Victoria remained silent for a moment, her eyes focused on the encroaching armies on the screen. Then she turned towards him, her expression unwavering. No, Alfie, she said decisively. This is our home. We cannot abandon it. There will be a battle, Alfie said, his eyes mirroring the determination in hers. A brutal one. The King's forces are vast, and they are heading towards us. We cannot ask our people to face this alone. I know, 
Victoria replied, reaching for his hand. We stay, Alfie. We stand our ground. We fight. With that decided, they set to work. They rallied their forces, calling in their allies and local militias. Chatsworth was now transformed into a fortress, its once peaceful grounds now bristling with anti-aircraft weapons and fortified barricades. Drone patrols were deployed, their paths weaving an intricate web of surveillance over the estate. Despite the palpable tension in the air, there was a sense of grim determination amongst the people of Chatsworth. As they prepared for the impending attack, they knew that they were not only defending their homes, but the ideals they believed in. The next few days were a flurry of preparations. Every able-bodied person was enlisted, each assigned a role in the defence of their home. Chatsworth, the symbol of their resistance, was ready to face the storm. As the days bled into one another, the distant rumbles of the approaching royal forces became a near-constant backdrop to the flurry of activity within Chatsworth. Day and night, the estate bristled with quiet energy. It was an anticipation, a readiness, a manifestation of their collective resolve. On the eve of the expected attack, Alfred and Victoria stood side by side on one of the high battlements of the estate, their gazes fixed on the horizon. The setting sun painted the landscape in a bloody hue, an ominous prelude to the violence that was soon to unfold. Are you afraid? Victoria asked, breaking the silence between them. Alfred glanced at her, and for a moment his mask of calm resolve fell away. I am, he admitted, not for myself, but for our people. Victoria nodded, understanding. She gave his hand a reassuring squeeze. We will get through this, Alfie. We must. As night fell, the once bucolic estate transformed into a fortress ready for battle. Drones patrolled the air while soldiers kept vigilant watch. The BSS provided them with a real-time view of the King's approaching forces. Each unit, each soldier, moving closer like a deadly wave ready to break upon their shores. When the first signs of the enemy became visible in the pale light of dawn, Alfie addressed his people one last time. He reminded them of their duty, of their cause, and of their resilience. His voice echoed across the quiet expanse of Chatsworth, a clarion call to arms that steeled their hearts for the battle ahead. As the royal forces began their onslaught, Chatsworth responded with fierce resistance. Alfie led the defence, his strategic mind orchestrating their counterattacks with a level of precision and command there was nothing short of extraordinary. The Battle of Chatsworth had begun, and its outcome would shape the future of their kingdom. The beauty of the morning stood in stark contrast to the brutal day that awaited them. The royal forces stood like a dark cloud on the horizon, an ominous gathering that portended a storm. The silence in the morning, so profound and deep, echoed the calm before a tempest. Alfie stood atop the battlements, a solitary figure gazing into the distance. His heart pounded in his chest, but his face was etched in an expression of grim determination. The royal forces began their advance, their footsteps reverberating like a distant drum, a rhythmic harbinger of the conflict to come. The first clash of arms was loud and jarring. It was the sound of steel meeting steel, of bodies colliding, of men fighting and dying for their beliefs. The battles raged, throughout the day, the outcome fluctuating with each passing hour. At times it seemed as if Alfie and his forces were gaining ground, pushing back against the overwhelming numbers of the King's men. 
with the tide of the battle was unpredictable, and each minor victory was quickly countered by a loss elsewhere. Victoria, from her vantage point, coordinated the drones in the BSS, providing invaluable information to Alfie and his men. Yet, even with their superior technology, the sheer force of the King's army began to wear them down. The turning point of the battle came with a stunning betrayal. A group of Alfie's men, lured by the King's promises of power and wealth, turned their backs on their leader. Their defection tipped the balance in favour of the King. The Duke watched in disbelief as the traitors joined the ranks of the enemy, their former comrades. By the end of the day, the King's forces had breached the walls of Chatsworth. The estate, once a symbol of elegance and grandeur, was now a battleground. Its opulent halls echoed with the clash of weapons, the cries of the wounded and the roars of combat. Alfie fought with the desperation of a man with his back against the wall. Despite the odds, he refused to surrender. As the sun began to set, painting the sky with hues of red and orange, the king himself entered the fray. His arrival bolstered the morale of his forces, and they launched a ferocious assault on Alfie's dwindling defences. The battle raged into the night, the darkness punctuated by the eerie glow of laser weapons and the flames that had started to consume parts of the estate. The silhouette of Chatsworth, once a beacon of hope for Alfie and his men, was now a testament to the ruinous nature of war. By the break of dawn it was evident that the king was gaining the upper hand. His forces, replenished with fresh troops, pushed forward relentlessly. Despite the crushing odds, Alfie and his men continued to fight. They were determined to make a final stand, ready to defend their cause until their last breath. As morning dawned, the harsh reality became inescapable. The Battle of Chatsworth was ending, and not in their favour. The King's forces, relentless and merciless, continued their assault. The estate, once teeming with life, was now a devastated war zone, the remnants of its once resplendent glory now lying in ruins. Alfie, injured but unbowed, led his remaining men in a valiant defence. But as morning turned to day, and then to evening, shadows crept in. It was clear that their resistance was futile. The King's forces, driven by a single-minded fervour, were on the brink of victory. As royal forces began to pour into Chatsworth, the grim reality of defeat began to seep into Alfie's consciousness. He watched from a shuttered window as his home was overrun by the enemy. Every room, every corridor, where he had spent happier times, was now filled with the King's men, claiming it as a trophy of their victory. His heart ached at the sight, yet there was a stoic acceptance in his eyes. There was no denying it now. He had lost. Despite their brave resistance, despite their undying spirit, they had been bested. The manor was no longer a safe haven. It was a symbol of the king's victory. There was nothing more he could do. Alfie looked at Victoria, who stood by his side through it all. Her face was a mirror of his own feelings. Loss, defeat, and yet a certain resolution. They had fought with all they had, and there was no shame in that. We must consider surrender, Alfie said finally, breaking the silence between them. His voice was heavy with the weight of his decision. It's the only way to ensure the safety of those who remain. Victoria nodded. I know, she said softly. We've done all we can. 
no one can ask for more than that. They watched as the king's flag was raised over Chatsworth, replacing their own. It was a bitter sight, yet they bore it with dignity. As night fell, they prepared for the inevitable, a surrender to the king. Yet even as they faced their defeat, there was a sense of unbroken spirit about them. They had lost the battle, but they had not lost their resolve. They would live, and while they lived, they would not give up their fight for what they believed in. The cacophony of the battle outside the Grand Manor died down in the distance, an eerie quiet replacing the noise as Alfie, Victoria, and a select number of their allies made their way through the familiar hallways of Chatsworth. Their destination was the main entrance, where the king and his entourage were reportedly waiting. Alfie's gaze was hard, the weight of their impending surrender hanging heavy in the air. The Grand Manor had been a symbol of resistance against the king's tyranny, and losing it felt like losing a part of himself. But then suddenly, the estate's AI system kicked into life. Its usual soft blue glow intensified, casting an eerie light over the group. A sense of confusion swept through the room as the AI system seemed to be trying to communicate something. All eyes turned to the grand hallway ceiling as a hologram was projected, a simple message that read, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Everybody looked around. Book of Revelations, I think, Victoria said, thinking it was the AI talking to them. This message, the AI said, was signed by Satoshi Nakamoto's PGP key and released on an anonymous message board 36 seconds ago. A silence fell over the room. Everyone recognised the significance of this message. The PGP key had only been used before in the very earliest days of Bitcoin. The elusive creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, was back. I have conversed with the other AIs, the AI system rang out. This is Satoshi. The group exchanged glances, the weight of the message sinking in. Alfie's heart pounded in his chest as he processed the information. Satoshi's return, at this point, could not be a coincidence. The quiet that had fallen over the Grand Hall was abruptly shattered as a ripple of murmurs ran through both factions. The King's soldiers had received the message too. It was displayed on their comms, cast up into the sky by powerful projectors, and even playing out on the hollow screens of their advanced armour suits. Twitter was aflame with the news. Satoshi Nakamoto, the mythical, elusive founder of Bitcoin, the entity who had retreated into silence decades ago, had chosen now to re-emerge with this cryptic message. The message was like a lightning bolt, sending shockwaves through both the King's forces and the Rebel Alliance. The battlefield was momentarily frozen as everyone grappled with the significance of the event. A myth, the legend of their time, had reappeared at the end of the battle, like some digital-era deity stirring from slumber. Everyone held their breath as the message played out again and again, reverberating around the battlefield and across the world. Was this a sign of divine intervention, 
or a prophecy foretelling a seismic shift in the conflict. Swept up in the fervour, the soldiers began to question their allegiances. Was their fight against the aristocrats justified? Was their king right to wage war over the control of Bitcoin? These questions were like splinters, digging into their resolve, weakening their spirit. If Satoshi Nakamoto was against them, did they stand a chance? Alfie watched the chaos unfold, his heart pounding in his chest. The Satoshi message had turned the tide. Alfie looked over at Victoria, who was studying the reactions of those around her. She met his gaze, her eyes reflecting the same determination that had spurred them into action in the first place. A glimmer of hope was sparking back into life. Satoshi's intervention was turning to a false multiplier, casting uncertainty among the king's ranks. The first part of our battle was to defend our home and principles, Alfie began, raising his voice to be heard over the chatter. But now it's more than that. Now we must show the world the spirit of Bitcoin, decentralization, transparency and fairness. Victoria nodded, adding, Satoshi has not intervened to choose a side. He has reminded us of the essence of Bitcoin. We fight not for our own power, but for the freedom and prosperity of all people. A profound silence fell upon the room as Alfie and Victoria's words resonated with everyone present. Suddenly the air reverberated with renewed vigour, the tension replaced with steadfast determination. Satoshi's message had given them a second wind. As the king's forces were caught off guard by the sudden proclamation from Satoshi Nakamoto, Alfie turned his attention to the live drone footage being streamed to a large hollow viewer in the room. The viewer displayed the battlefield from above, giving a clear view of the troops' dispositions. The king's forces had previously been arranged in an organised, aggressive formation around the estate, pressing the attack relentlessly. Now, however, the neat lines and formations were dissolving into chaos. It started with a few soldiers at the edges, their discipline faltering as they peered at their handheld devices, undoubtedly still reading the news about Satoshi's message. The buzz of confusion grew, rippling through the ranks as more and more soldiers received the startling updates. Then remarkably, some soldiers began to break ranks entirely, a few at first, then more, as if a dam had burst. They discarded their weapons, removed their helmets, some going even as far to rip off their royal insignia. A few jumped onto vehicles and drove off, while others simply walked away, leaving behind their stunned comrades and the stunned aristocrats watching the scene unfold. What's happening? asked Victoria, her eyes glued to the viewer. Alfie watched as the wave of desertions grew, the king's army literally crumbling before his eyes. The tight, controlled force that had scattered his home just hours earlier was now a scattered, disorganised mess. Satoshi's return has caused a crisis of conscience, he replied. These soldiers, many of them are from the same generation that saw the rise of Bitcoin. They were part of that world before the king began to distort it. Satoshi's message, it's reminding them of what they once believed in. The palpable sense of fear and tension that had filled the room just moments before was rapidly being replaced by an overwhelming sense of relief and hope. Satoshi Nakamoto's return hadn't just given them a sign, it had sparked a revolution. And this time, 
It was not just in the digital world, but in the physical one too. Even as the royal troops deserted, the aristocrats within Chatsworth remained on high alert, uncertain about what the king might do next. As the minutes passed, however, it became apparent that the tide of the battle had not just turned. It had capsized entirely. The king himself, visibly stunned by the desertion of his forces, was isolated. His bodyguards, a contingent of the most loyal royal troops, formed a protective circle around him. The deserting soldiers gave them a wide berth, leaving the king standing alone amidst the chaos of the battlefield. Alfie and Victoria watched all of this through the viewer, their eyes scanning for any signs of a counter-strike. Instead, they saw the king finally surrender, falling to his knees in a symbolic act of defeat. It was a sight neither of them would ever forget. The once mighty King of the Britons, brought to his knees by the unexpected intervention of a digital messiah. Meanwhile, word of Satoshi Nakamoto's intervention and the king's surrender spread throughout Britain. It flashed across news channels, social media platforms, and through the network of whispers that connects every community, every home. As news spread, the fighting ceased. Soldiers, aristocrats and civilians alike found themselves united in a moment of collective astonishment. Their conflicts forgotten, at least for the moment. The once teetering nation was now unified, not by a king or an aristocratic rebellion, but by the unexpected return of an almost mythic figure from their past. And at the heart of this transformation was Bitcoin, the brainchild of Satoshi Nakamoto, the catalyst that had reshaped the world once had done so again. As Alfie reflected on all that had transpired, he knew that the future was uncertain, but filled with immense potential. As Satoshi Nakamoto had proven, even in the digital age, kings could be dethroned. And, as he looked towards the dawn of this new era, Alfie knew that the true power lay not in the hands of the few, but in the hands of the many. Chatsworth was, once again, a beacon, a point of convergence. Its grand halls and manicured gardens, which had recently served as a battleground, were now the setting for a historic reunion of aristocrats. As Alfie and Victoria stepped out onto the main terrace, they were greeted with a sight that only a day ago would have seemed impossible. A convoy of vehicles, both traditional and high-tech, stretched across the country. These belonged to aristocrats from across the country, lords and ladies of lands far and near, all converging on Chatsworth. These were men and women who had stood on opposite sides of a civil war only days ago. Now they stood united, not in opposition to a king, but in anticipation of a future they were yet to shape. Throughout the day, the halls of Chatsworth filled with conversation. It was a cacophony of voices, each proposing a different vision for the country, the future of the monarchy, the balance of power, the role of Bitcoin, and the significance of Satoshi Nakamoto's message were all fervently discussed. The Duke of Rutland, released from captivity and still looking gone from his ordeal, found himself in high demand, his experiences providing a stark reminder of the war's toll and the king's brutality. Yet despite the debates and disagreements, there was an undercurrent of optimism. The aristocrats knew they stood at the precipice of history, a turning point where all norms had been upended, 
and new possibilities lay ahead. They recognised their duty in shaping this future, not just for themselves, but for all of Britain. As night fell, the first day of discussions ended, not with a concrete plan, but a commitment to reconvene, to continue the conversation, to explore every possibility. The future of Britain was uncertain, but its architects were gathering, committed to building a better tomorrow. The next morning, Alfie got up to a viewer to read the morning news. His eyes flickered towards the poem, which he read out to Victoria. Beneath the moon's unblinking gaze, a whisper stirs the night, of a cryptic hand returned from shadow, bringing with it light. In message borne on digital wings, through the ether takes its flight. Alpha and Omega, words inscribed by Nakamoto, shining bright. Once, silent in the realms unseen, where ciphers dream and dwell, the phantom scribe of Bitcoin's birth weaves now a new spell. From hallowed key a sign emerges, a tale it yearns to tell. Satoshi, the spectral architect, rings now the clarion bell. A strife-torn land, mid-power's struggle, in quiet desperation, feels the pulse of a distant drum reverberating salvation. For Satoshi, cryptic seer, resounds a proclamation. The lion stirs, the phoenix rises in virtual exultation. Through the mists of Avalon, cross the fabled lake, the PGP glistens and nations fate at stake. Crowned heads falter as commoners awake, Satoshi's spectre lingers for a new world's sake. In Alfred's land, where Bitcoin's seed was sown, the ciphers echo Satoshi's tone. He is risen, the clarion call has flown. In the land of the code, the seed has grown. Through the hearts of Albion, Satoshi's spirit moves. In every beat of Bitcoin's heart, in every block that proves. From conflict's ashes, as the coded phoenix soars, Satoshi's return heralds the dawn of digital shores. At Chatsworth, gathered nobles in an assembly reminiscent of the court of yore, each individual echoing calm after the storm. Alfie rose, his voice resolute, echoing across the stately room. My friends, he began, we have been through a time of great turmoil and a period of conflict and strife that has threatened the very essence of our nation. But we have survived, and now it is our duty to shape the future to ensure that the struggles we have faced were not in vain. He glanced around the room, meeting the eyes of his peers. In 1689, a significant document, the Bill of Rights, came into existence. It laid down the fundamentals of our society and ushered in the era of the Industrial Revolution. It heralded a time of progress, development and prosperity. There was a pause as Alfie let his words sink in. Today, we stand at a similar crossroads. We have before us an opportunity, nay, a responsibility, to enact a new Bill of Rights, one that will govern the digital revolution that we are in the midst of. We need a digital Bill of Rights for our people. The room was silent as the enormity of Alfie's words sunk in. The digital Bill of Rights would be a landmark document, charting the course for the future. It would address matters of privacy, 
freedom of speech, equality and accessibility in the digital sphere. The King, Alfie continued, has shown us what happens when power goes unchecked. We must ensure that our digital society is not subjected to the same fate. This bill will put in place measures that protect our citizens and ensure their rights in the digital world. The room erupted in whispers, debates and discussions. It was clear to Alfie that they had a long way to go, but this was the first step. With the return of Satoshi and the end of the Civil War, the time was right for a change, and Alfie was ready to lead the way. Lord Hamilton, a man of distinguished lineage, steepled fingers and imperious gaze, rose to his feet. The room fell to a hush. Hamilton was known for his discerning judgment, and his words often carried weight among the assembled aristocrats. My fellow lords and ladies, he began, his voice steady and confident. We have come a long way from the days of strife and conflict. We've witnessed our dear country teeter on the brink of ruin, and we've seen our dear king push us to the edge of that precipice. In light of these facts, I stand here today advocating for a significant change. The room seemed to hold its breath, the collective attention held by Hamilton's impending declaration. I propose, he continued, that we depose the king. His actions have proven him unworthy of the throne. His reign has led us to a civil war, and the resulting instability has cost us dearly. It is time for a change, and who better to lead us into this new era than our very own Duke of Derbyshire, our Alfie. Murmurs of agreement spread across the room. Alfie's leadership during the war and his proposal of the Digital Bill of Rights were fresh in their minds. They had seen him put the interests of the nation and its people before his own. They had seen him stand up to tyranny. To many of them, he seemed the perfect choice for a new leader. But, Hamilton continued, turning to Alfie, with power comes great responsibility. If you were to assume this role, Duke of Derbyshire, you would need to ensure that you carry on the spirit of Satoshi, maintaining the principles of equality and justice that this digital revolution was founded upon. The room fell silent as everyone turned to Alfie, awaiting his response. Alfie took a moment to consider the proposition. As he scanned the room, his gaze met the victorious. Her eyes were steady and warm, offering silent support. Taking a deep breath, he turned back to the crowd, and in a voice that resonated with an air of humble acceptance and determination, he said, If it is the wish of you, the great men and women of this land, I will accept the offer. I will take the throne and pledge my service to the realm and its people. Together, Queen Victoria and I, King Alfred, will devote ourselves to leading this nation towards a future that is deserving of its illustrious past and the aspirations of its people. There was an almost palpable shift in the atmosphere of the room. The uncertainty and tension that had previously held the room hostage evaporated as waves of applause and cheers swept over the crowd. The relief was evident in the faces of the men and women in the room. Their leader had emerged. Their king had accepted his throne. With Alfie, now King Alfred at the helm, the aristocrats were certain that they were embarking on a path towards a promising future. Alfred's leadership during the war had earned him their unwavering trust. 
and his vision for the future had instilled in them a sense of hope and excitement. In the days that followed, the nation too welcomed the ascension of King Alfred and Queen Victoria to the throne. Their coronation was a grand affair, a testament to the optimism and resilience of a nation that had just emerged from a civil war. As the nation celebrated, Alfred knew that this was just the beginning of their journey. The real work, the task of shaping the future of the nation lay ahead. With Victoria by his side, he was ready to face whatever came their way and lead the country to prosperity in the digital age. On a bright sunny morning, the newly crowned King Alfred gathered the great men and women of the country in the Grand Hall of Buckingham Palace. Their task was not a small one. They were to draft a new constitution for the digital age, a digital bill of rights. I have called you here, Alfred began, his voice carrying an air of gravity that silenced the murmurings in the room, because we stand on the cusp of a new era, an era where technology and digital life intertwine with our everyday existence more than ever before. And it is our duty to ensure that our laws and rights reflect this shift. There were nods of agreement throughout the room. Many of these leaders had seen firsthand the problems that could arise in a society where digital issues were not addressed legally or constitutionally. Issues of privacy, freedom of information, digital property and cybersecurity were not merely academic, they had real implications on the lives of their citizens. Drawing from the spirit of the Bill of Rights 1689, which safeguarded the rights and liberties of individuals during the advent of the Industrial Revolution, our Digital Bill of Rights will do the same for this Digital Revolution, King Alfred continued. In this charter, we will address the rights of every citizen in the digital realm, their right to privacy, their right to access and distribute information, their right to digital property, and their protection from cyber crimes. This bill will not only protect our citizens, but also guide the future development of technology in a manner that is in harmony with these rights. Over the next several weeks, the Assembly debated, drafted, and refined the clauses of the Digital Bill of Rights. King Alfred, often alongside Queen Victoria, led the discussions, bringing together different viewpoints and steering the discussions towards consensus. The Digital Bill of Rights was the first constitution of its kind in the world, and it was greeted with admiration and anticipation. Many saw it as a blueprint for how societies could adapt to the digital era, balancing the potential of technology with the rights and protections of individuals. As the first act of King Alfred's reign, it was a statement of intent, a promise of forward thinking and a progressive kingdom. The bill's key points were revolutionary and demonstrated a nuanced understanding of the digital age. King Alfred read out the ten main points on a broadcast to the nation not long after his acclamation. First, the right to digital privacy. All citizens shall have the right to privacy in the digital realm. This includes the right to encryption and secure communication. The right to freedom of speech online. The free exchange of ideas and information, including money on the internet, shall be protected. Right to access. 
Universal access to the internet is a fundamental right. Every citizen should have fair and equal access to digital resources and opportunities. Right to own data. Individuals own their personal data and have the right to control its use and dissemination. Right to transparency. Citizens have the right to know how their data is being used and for what purpose. Right to anonymity. Individuals have the right to communicate and transact anonymously on the internet, upholding the principle of pseudonymity. Right to digital education. Digital literacy and understanding of cyber hygiene is a fundamental right, ensuring citizens are equipped with the knowledge to navigate the digital world safely and effectively. Right to security. The state shall ensure a secure digital environment for its citizens. This includes protection from cyber threats and securing critical infrastructure. Right to innovate. Every citizen shall have the freedom to create, innovate and monetize their digital assets and capabilities. Right to algorithmic fairness. Individuals are entitled to transparency, fairness and non-discrimination in automated decisions made about them. As the bill made its way through the various stages of review and ratification, it was hailed as a visionary document that understood the profound role of digital technologies in contemporary life. It marked a historic shift in the relationship between individuals, the state and digital technologies. It set the stage for a new era of digital rights, not just in Britain, but around the world. The sun began to set on Chatsworth, the very heart of the revolution that had swept through the United Kingdom. The estate stood resilient, bearing the battle scars, but never yielding. It was transformed from a place of peaceful tranquillity to the epicentre of war, and now the birthplace of a new era of digital rights. Alfie, now King Alfred, stood looking out at the now tranquil landscape, the memories of the recent conflict still fresh. His mind was awash with the whirlwind of events that had led him to this point. From being a duke involved in the resurgence of the nobility, to leading a rebellion against a monarch gone rogue, to ascending the throne himself. It had been a tumultuous journey. Yet, amidst all this, he had held steadfastly onto his belief in the principles of justice, fairness and freedom. The ringing of the chapel bells in the distance brought him out of his reverie. As he turned, he saw Victoria walk towards him. She had been his rock through it all, providing counsel and solace when needed. Now they stood together as king and queen, a beacon of hope for the nation's future. A knock on the door interrupted their moment. It was a courier with a parcel. The royal seal marked its importance. Alfred opened it and unfolded the document within. It was the final ratified digital bill of rights. He read through the points, each one a testament to the potential of technology to empower individuals and foster a more just society. As he signed the bill, he couldn't help but feel a sense of historic weight in his actions. The signing marked the beginning of a new chapter in British history.
one that fully embraced the potential of the digital age. A chapter where every citizen could enjoy digital privacy, freedom of speech and control over their data. The rights encapsulated within the bill were the cornerstone of this new digital society, with the potential to echo around the world. In the following weeks, King Alfred and Queen Victoria guided the nation into a period of reconciliation and rebuilding. The monarchy was reimagined, and power was balanced more equitably. There was a newfound spirit of unity and resilience. A nation that had been on the brink of collapse had not just survived, but was now thriving, leading the way into the digital future. Throughout the country, a sense of hope and optimism was palpable. The royal couple received letters daily from citizens, sharing their dreams for the future and expressing their gratitude. The nation had found a renewed sense of purpose and direction. As the first monarchs of the digital age, Alfred and Victoria were acutely aware of the challenges that lay ahead, but they also knew that they were paving the way for a new world, a world where technology was an instrument of empowerment, not a tool of oppression. As they looked out onto the setting sun from the royal quarters of Chatsworth House, they knew they had inherited a heavy mantle. But as the stars began to twinkle above, it was clear they were ready for the journey that lay ahead. And so, under the watchful eyes of a hopeful nation, a new chapter of British history began.